first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Uh, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherload. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Alright, what's up gamers? Um, I guess it's important for me to say early here before we get started. Uh, if you tuned in for specifically gaming content, this ain't your week. Sorry. Um, we're interviewing, uh, Chris Heist, who is a comedian that I met at a bar in downtown Tucson. And, uh, while we do talk about gaming, uh, you'll get to the gaming content roughly about an hour, uh, it's like 50 something minutes in. If you want to skip to that, that's cool. But, uh, this is, uh, this is not going to be an easy episode. It's a, it's a good one. It's a really good one in my opinion, but you know, usually we don't talk about politics or the government or you know things that you know upset people on the show um this time we do a lot very much so and uh, i just want to warn you ahead of time like if you if you came here just to hear about video games uh this might not be the one for you but if you came here to hear extremely interesting introspective conversation about the way that the world works and potentially how it influences video games, then uh, stick around. But uh, for now, I'll play you out, and uh, you'll soon be in the keep with Chris Heist. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Chris Heist. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you doing? Uh, it's a pretty pretty good day, man. I have, uh, it's fall now, so I went out and bought the fucking Sam Adams. What is it? Sweater weather pack. Got my Oktoberfest on. Okay, drinking uh, beer on a Sunday at noon. That's that's, that's good. It. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's good. But any time of day. Fuck it. <laughs> well, it's like I woke up really really early because, like I said, my my job is technically in europe so though i live in arizona i wake up on european time to work with those people and that's uh, pretty cool that's yeah. pretty fucking cool <laughs> it's pretty chill yeah and uh, so like you know it's it, it's it's funny though when you walk into the gas station at 8 a.m and everyone's getting their coffee and i'm just like uh yes one 24 pack of beer please right no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no i've always been off schedule from the normal whatever so yeah oftentimes i'm waking up at 3 30 a.m to do shit and uh, yeah, and yeah. By the time eight rolls around, you're like already have been doing shit for a long time. Yeah, um, I feel like the 24 pack of beer under your arm is the last reason why people are staring at you. Like, yeah, for me, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's all right. That's part, you know. That's that's people. They, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a. I guess yeah. For the longest, yeah, through human history, 
people are so stuck having, with norms. Yeah. Having, having spent most of my adult life in a very rigid environment, I, when I saw you on stage, I was like, this guy is an animal. He's my hero. I want to be <laughs> just like that. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I mean, that, I have, I have gone to whatever in my, in my experience, gone to great lengths to prevent myself from being locked in rigid systems, but it has not done well for me. I can say that. <laughs> I have not been successful. I mean, I've, I've, I think, I think personally it has done well for me. Like I think my mentally I'm, I love what I think and, you know, freedom, but uh, I'm just saying like, you know, it does, it, it doesn't, you don't do well necessarily with uh, jobs or relationships or (laughs) when you speak your mind freely all the time, it tends to piss people off uh, more. So, so yeah, it's not just on stage that I do that, but it's, it's Yeah. I like it, but but yeah, it's it's not for. I would like it to be more for everybody, but uh, but I understand why people don't do it because there are there is there are downside effects to it. I think that most people <laughs> are are who they are in an effort to not go against the tribe because they're afraid of being judged or ostracized or whatever. And right, I don't think that's a unique thought. It's just a an right. observational fact about a social species really yeah it takes a lot of it takes a lot of effort to to um not to just stand out or be different just for the sake of being different or whatever but if you think something is accurate in a certain direction and everyone else is like no it's not then it's up to it takes whatever what they would call it a i don't know an a, a gumption or something i don't know what the fuck they would say some sort of um cojones or whatever to to be like look we yeah i think this is right or I think yeah. this is more accurate than what the fuck you people are saying is more accurate. And you, you stand up for, uh, yeah, you, as opposed to just falling into line with the, uh, what does that famous psychology experiment where, uh, the Stanford prison experiment, not that one. There's many famous, but that's one of them. But, uh, yeah. the, the one I'm thinking of is just the, um, everyone's an actor in a room except for one person who's the subject of the study. And, oh, yeah. and, and the teacher has on a chalkboard, they draw four different lines and they say, which, which line is the longest line? And everybody in the room agrees that the wrong answer is correct. And yeah. the person who's there is studied to see if they will go along with that or if they will say, no, clearly line D is the longest line. But everybody else says that line C is the longest line. And, and, and most participants, I forget what the exact percentage was, but I think it was most, if not many, people were just like, yeah, they just went along with the crowd. They were just like, "Yeah, line line uh, C is the longest line," even though it was totally fucking obvious that it wasn't. So it's that kind of thing. Like people, there's a tendency for people to um, uh, uh, lie in defense of their social well-being and uh, their it's a survival mechanism. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because because we're social animals, and there is a, a very important component to you know, whatever is built into revolution that, that, that we're scared shitless of being ostracized. So even, and we also, you know, not everybody's an arrogant prick. Like there, there are some, some people would be like, well, maybe I do see that line D is long. It's way longer than the other lines, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe something's, maybe I fucking drank too much coffee today or something. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, th- there is something to be said for, you know, there's a good impulse there too, not just a, an evil impulse of, you know, most of the people probably did it just to conform, but maybe a few people were like, I could, I, I'm sometimes wrong about shit. So I'm going to go with the crowd on this one. <laughs> so, you know. like a, yeah. The elevator experiment. Remember that is like an old TV sketch where everyone's yeah, the in an elevator the facing the back wall. Yeah. 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 And then the, the one guy is just like, 
they're just laughing at him as he slowly turns around to conform. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, that's yeah. one of those old tricks. Uh, yeah, that sociology experiments or whatever. And yeah, the stuff that Candid Camera, that old show, was made of. I think that was Candid Camera. Yeah, probably. Uh, it was started. I think that show was started by a psychologist who had worked on this sort of uh, fuckery, and yeah. uh, and they uh, kind of monetized it and yeah, made a made a show about it, not just to entertain the public, but to educate the public and uh, maybe, you know, also probably manipulate the public. <laughs> so, so how did you end up, uh, like, what was the moment when you kind of started to lean this way or, or like to value your, your freedom over your, uh, we'll say social safety? I mean, the, 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 the freedom was just like from, yeah, from as early on as I can remember. Yeah. Is just like, you know, that's one of the best, parts of whatever consciousness is being free to think whatever and to try things out, say whatever, you know, experiment in the world or whatever. And, uh, without like, you know, not living in a cage basically. So there was, there was definitely, um, that, that whatever, um, obsession with freedom, you know, every, every kid hates school or whatever. Cause it's, it's like a fucking prison. It's, it's the way it's designed, the way, you know, everybody loves learning, but they hate being thrown in a cage to do it. So I, I get like, I think it's a universal kind of feeling of like, it's just that most people don't get the chance to, to whatever. And I don't know that I had the chance to, but I, but I certainly tried to get as much freedom as I possibly could. Uh, you know, given the, you know, you're, everybody's confined to the authority of their parents to some degree and everybody's confined to the authority of schools and government to whatever degree. And, you know, you, you, you learn to, work within those parameters and expand them as much as you can. I guess everybody to whatever extent succeeds to varying extents. Cause I think as a species and I think just in life in general it, and connected to the second law of thermodynamics, everybody seeks to increase their degrees of freedom. So it's, it's a very important and actually, yeah, as I just kind of referred to is, is a fundamental aspect of physical reality all the way down to the very base fundamental principles of physics. Like, that it doesn't matter if you're a human being or a rabbit or a fucking subatomic particle, you're trying to increase your degrees of freedom. So it's like, it's a, it's a thing that is, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's innate to, to yeah, life and even not life in a lot of ways weirdly, but yeah, it's, 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 it's important. And so, yeah, I've, uh, I've always, you know, tried to, and then, yeah, you know, once you start learning shit later when you're older or whatever, Cause I didn't, you know, I knew some shit as a kid, but not a lot, you know, but the more you learn about how the world is and, and how the world is, you know, that whole, there's that thing you, the first time a, a kid realizes their parents are wrong about something, it's like this mind blowing event. And yeah, they're like, it's like the, when the, every, every like suburban kid who's like, you know, hesitant to, to try pot in college and then they do and they realize that like, oh shit. They lied. And then they think they lied about everything. And right. Straight to heroin. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you, they, that that whole thing of like, that's that's another one of those things, uh, mistakes where you people can be wrong about shit, but that doesn't mean they're wrong about everything. <laughs> but they, but they, yeah, they were wrong about pot, but they were lying about pot, uh, and and they weren't lying about heroin. You know? <laughs> I uh, this is not an original thought because it, it actually came from Jack Spierko, who's like a he's a podcaster that I listen to a lot, but he. He talked about the the public education system. And he's like, we don't actually in America. There is no public education system. It is actually a uh, 
a, a government indoctrination system. It has it's not public. You know, parents are like you have to go through the office and get like a name tag and a, be vetted in order to visit it. It's not public. Right, and right. Your, your children are be, being forced to be there essentially. Right. It's not like a library, you know. Right. Yeah, it's not it's not it's not a public business. Like you're not the customer. The parent is not the customer. The government is the customer. The teachers get paid by the government and so do the staff and everything. And then the parents really don't have any say in it. And they consider it a right. Like it's it's the government's right to decide how your children should be educated despite what you think. Right, right. And and you can go through the whatever, I don't know, bureaucratic bureaucratic process of homeschooling or whatever. I don't know how to right. configure that. But but yeah, yeah. Generally speaking, public schooling is a um I mean, you know, there's private schooling and then there's public schooling that is uh, in some way mandatory. Like you said, you have to go through some procedure where you do a a homeschooling application and shit like that. If you want to, if you want to be the person to actually, but they, but they do want, you know, again, there's bad to it because yeah, how rigid it is and how Mm -hmm. age like it is and stuff. At the same time, we got enough people running around this country that don't know shit about science already. If, if there wasn't public schools, Man, like <laughs> this televangelist would have taken everybody. Oh yeah, dude, if, Billy if, Graham. Would yeah, be all that shit. Yeah. He would be God if if there was no public school because it would be so easy to fool everybody. Already, America's run, I would argue, based on the Barnum principle of of like, yeah, make as many Barnums as possible and make as many suckers as possible, and 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 that will maximize profit. I've hold a bit on a new thing that I'm trying to put together about that shit but yeah like it's it's we're trying to uh you know we're not we're not trying to it's just it's just a fucked system it's 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 a it's a longer conversation but it's a it's an elaborate exploitation scheme (laughs) you know but yeah I, i get i get the point you know you know about you know public schools or whatever but yeah i just i just think that like without without uh it's one of those old arguments of like the, the argument between authoritarianism and individualistic freedom sort of thing. It's like authoritarian means and schemes oftentimes emerge in a vacuum of a viable individualistic scheme. Right. So if there isn't already something that prevents televangelists from taking over the country by tricking everyone, that, you know, or other things, corporations, whatever, McDonald's could do it. Any any corrupt authoritarian organization and fucked up authoritarian leaders could take over if people were too dumb, if they were too ignorant. So how do you solve that? And the the easiest, the path of least resistance solution is oftentimes for people to go, well, well then we got to make it an authority that forces people to do that. Otherwise, these other crazies are going to force them to do this. So it, you get a caught in a, you get stuck in a loop of, of, this bad is better than that bad. And, and I, and I would argue that that's a function of the, yeah, the vacuum of, of other viable options and solutions and that we need to start creating more of those uh, more viable solutions to fill those vacuums before authority comes along and goes, we got to do it the hard way or the mean way or the rigid way. Uh, Because yeah, you could, there's, uh, you know, and this applies with everything, but like with education too, you could Construct a system that makes people very, very knowledgeable about science and math very early and history so that they avoid the trickery and, and fuckery of all these horrible people and organizations. And you could do it, you could do it without any authority at all. 
Um, but, but it's just, it's not there. The internet is one such thing that is, is a possible, you know, has contributed to some extent in the other direction to, to, in that not in that anti-authoritarian direction to let people actually, um, you know, get to, uh, learn, uh, without force. And, uh, so yeah, it's that, it's that kind of thing. And, and, you know, but, but yeah, in, in lieu of an, an option where, you know, people, you know, are going to be even dumber than they already are. Right. You know, and, and like you said, you know, the, the whole public school system is not necessarily trying to make everyone into Ben Franklin. It's trying to make everyone, I've, I argue in the bit I'm trying to write now that is nowhere near finished, uh, in, into, it's trying to turn everyone into either a Barnum or a follower of Barnum, a, a dupe of Barnum. Yeah. So, so the smart people will turn into Barnums and the vast majority of people who are less smart, it'll turn into suckers. And that's, and it'll output that as a profit scheme, as opposed to turning everyone as much as possible into fucking Thomas Paine's and Ben Franklin's and, you know, Tesla's and, you know, fucking geniuses that invent shit. Instead of that, it would rather turn everyone into suckers and exploiters of suckers. And I, at least in my observation, I mean, I grew up in South Alabama. So like the school system there was, essentially like teaching you how to be an employee. Yeah. It didn't, it does not teach you how to be a leader. It doesn't even teach you how to be an entrepreneur. Right. right? right. Like it's, which is in my mind, the best thing you could be is like someone who controls the, you know, you right. are as independent. Yeah. As, as independent as possible. Yeah. Right. But the entire system is like, you know, if you show up on time and study pretty, you know, just do okay. And then get into college and then get a job and then die. And that's the whole process. Right. right. Um, and I've yeah. been fighting against that for ever since I, I, I guess the age of reason. I'm like, I don't like that at all. Like I, I want to be in charge of my own path. Um, so it's, it's, I don't want to call it slavery, but almost it's like this very subtle way to just kind of force you into, as you said, being one of the dupes. Yeah. yeah. Channel people in, like you said, Go, it channels them straight into a, a job and usually a laborer type job. Like a lot of people are still advocating for vocational schools as, that even more funnels people channels them directly into you are a coal miner, you are welder, you are, you know, and it's just like, okay, you know, what about if somebody wants to be a welder and 15 other things and they, you teach them all the stuff so they can learn whatever they want, you know, along the way and, and, so that they can make crazy cool new shit that nobody's ever made before because they have experience in 15 different things and not just vocational things, but also very intellectual things and, you know, high science and math engineering things. So there's, there's a, you know, yeah, there's, there's something again, that, that freedom, but they're, they're, and from what I've read and heard from people, it's even more like that in Europe where you are totally funneled straight into certain things um, based on your test results and in America, yeah, to some, well. yeah, yeah, and in, in America, to some extent, depending again on the state and what the region's employment opportunities are, um, you know, if you're in Boston, you know, it's probably better than, or New York, probably, probably better options as far as that's concerned is uh, than the rest of the country because there's a lot more types of jobs in the area than there is in yeah Arizona or Mississippi or Florida where I grew up. It's yeah. Well, when I grew up, it was like a, it was in Mobile, so it's a it's a town where essentially every nor like the normal people, the, the, the base median 
all the girls become nurses and all the boys become either shipyard workers or they work in a steel factory. And that's, that's right. just the easiest way to funnel right out of high school and make a living. Right. And so that's what most people do. Yeah. It's a path of least resistance. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting shit, man. It's yeah. Like, and I, least, I, I admire the fact that you convey this so well. Like there's a lot of people like on well, stage that are <laughs> shouting, you know, like they just seem angry, but like it, when I'm, when I'm paying attention to what you're saying, like, yeah, it's a, it's comedy. It's a joke, but I can see that you've thought this through. That you're going through this arduous process of like everything you say is an attempt to make some sort of sense, even if that is an attempt to piss people off with what you're saying, so that you can then make a point. Right, right. Which is not my like. I know some comics do that. I'm actually trying to not piss people off. I just inadvertently <laughs> do it yeah. all the time. But I'm not like that's one of the weird things. Is like, you know, I I would like my stuff to be mainstream is not as an i would like to be mainstream but i would like what i think to be accepted in the mainstream but it's no it's never going to be but my point is that i don't think it's um i don't think it's i don't think what i think is deviant or offensive or you know immoral or treasonous any of that stuff you know it's just thought it's just philosophical thought we should think about all these things and make good and then better progressively better decisions along the way because you know human beings in thought and action are constantly confined to our current uh, configurations of things to varying extents and if we can't uh, you have to you always are confined there's always an exigency to some extent there's always some sort of constraint for whether time or space that is making us have a oh we only got so much time to make this decision we have to make this decision by now so it's going to be shittier than it needs to be but then later you can re- revise that decision, revise and keep updating those things. So basically the way the universe works and the way time works or whatever is it, it makes it kind of inherently fucked up to some degree. So you have to do those. Uh, we have to select a shittier option uh, temporarily, though. Most people like once they get the shitty option locked in, they keep it locked in forever. But we have to constantly update our shitty option selections previous shitty option selections so that so that they're constantly improving and if we can be smart enough about it we can accelerate the improvement and and prevent future uh time constraint related shitty option selecting based on you know um configuring things so that people aren't so constrained to time or space in their decision making so you have enough time to really think things through and really elaborately predict what possibly could go wrong and what could go right and avoid the wrong and and to the best of your ability and to the best of your ability, uh, increase the number of uh, right outcomes or good outcomes from, from the decisions of, yeah, again, individual and society. It's just, yeah, it's big fucking. <laughs> so what, what is it about stand up comedy that you think like drew, drew you in and like, is well, it, is it, it the, um, it's that part of need it. to get out there and say what you need to say to yeah people, yeah that? it's it's very much the um well just solving things mm-hmm. it's a very to me stand-up comedy is very similar to philosophy in a lot of ways than even back in ancient history so you know uh back in the day you know in greece or whatever fucking thousands of years ago you'd hear people just talk about shit offer their ideas about shit and sometimes be witty about it and yeah. most of the time not but you know, some of these fuckers wrote great literature as, as well as being great mathematicians and scientists. So they had that um, what they would call a polymath educational upbringing, they, where they would, you know, the, the, it, they weren't raised in a cage. They were, 
they were encouraged to learn many different things, including how to work with stone and wood, but also how to do math and science, how to figure things out and invent things, make machines, and also discover, you know, whole new things about reality and nature. So yeah, that, that, that whole, um, to me, stand-up comedy is a, uh, is a, a component of that, not perceived to be a component of that, but I consider stand-up to be very connected to science and, and philosophy and, um, and the communication of science right. and philosophy. And, and like, uh, so yeah, I've always loved stand-up since I was a kid and I had, uh, I was obsessed with Carlin and, and prior and, and then later, you know, and, and when I was a kid, Dangerfield. And then as I was a little bit older, I was somewhere around 10 or 11 when I first heard Kinnison. And then like, by the time I was first in college, I heard of Hicks and was listening to his shit all the time. And then, then later on, you know, I heard of Stanhope and then, you know, and in the meantime, you know, I just had been listening to Carlin and so many others. Uh, but, you know, I had my fairs, you know, and then and then once you get really into the the depths of like where those guys, you know, the fucking Mortzall and Lenny Bruce, Dick Gregory, all those guys. So like you you get like the I always liked the stand up comics that were more philosophers and that dumb people really didn't like them because because they, they considered it not funny. They would say that, oh, Carlin's right, but he's not funny. And I and I can get why somebody would think that, but they don't understand what funny is, because like to me, and I again, it's it, it is a function of um, experience and knowledge, and and like some of the most uh, funny things are some of the most profound and true things, uh, and that uh, that applies whether you're a dipshit uh, fucking you know observational comic talking about some thing that everybody experiences with the refrigerator right right that's that sort of shit but but like there is something to that is like a very stripped down simplistic version of what i was just saying like because there is a truth to the airline food thing there's a small truth it's just not really an important truth but that's that's what i'm arguing is that the core of what's funny is some unrevealed truth about something and so whether it is about some unrevealed truth about tying your shoelaces yeah that's going to make money in america if you're a fucking asshole comedian, jerk, fucking corporate douchebag that will just talk about shoelaces and, and refrigerators and and people will applaud you and maybe you use a puppet or do magic too. It's it's one of those things that will that's gonna get the biggest audience, but the that's not the funniest thing. People will be laughing the hardest at that because most people are not as smart as you know. <laughs> it's just one of those things. Like I'm not trying to be arrogant about it, but most people there's just there is a sort of pyramid of intelligence and experience would, and knowledge, you know? I would say that like okay, like so Foxworthy, right? Like he's not I don't think right. he's malicious. I don't think he's sitting here plotting like, well, I'm gonna censor myself so that I can Oh no, no, no. Yeah, no, I'm that's genuinely his experience. And like Right, right. But there's also subconscious motivations and not so subconscious. I'm sure Foxworthy saw a number of comedians in the clubs back in the day not succeeding because of what they were talking about. And so he was like, I'm right. going to talk about the, th- the safe things. The th- I'm trying to make money here and a lot of it if I can. So here's <laughs> what I'm going to talk, you know, and th- that was a big movement during the, the se- late seventies and early eighties. A lot of comics steered hard, right mainstream and like, mm-hmm. and gave up on what, uh, what Carlin was doing or prior was doing or Paul Mooney was doing that. You know, they saw Paul Mooney, one of the greatest comedians of all time. They saw him regularly not succeeding other than, you know, being in Richard Pryor movies and, and writing with him. But 
which was great, but they saw him being rejected by different, you know, authorities in the business. So they were probably like, you know, I'm not going to go the route of criticizing all these institutions of authority like Mooney does all the time. So hilariously, he's literally one of the funniest people who has ever lived. And hardly anybody knows about him because the American authorities were like, we're not going to make this fucking guy famous. This, yeah. this guy is super funny and super insightful. And yeah, it's, but yeah, so, so a lot of those guys back in the day were like, let's talk about shopping malls. Let's talk about, you know, fucking whatever bread it's, it's, but, but my, my original point is that there is the, that what's funny is a fundamental truth about something. Yeah. But a fundamental truth about, you know, fucking shopping malls that is not critical of shopping malls is not going to be very um, funny when you really think about it. But most people don't really think about it. They just kind of like they want to get, uh, you know, have easy listening entertainment. So that's that's going to be what they get. And, and, uh, yeah. And in a country that wants to foster that and not support anything that's critical that, you know, they're going to make the most money. So even if they're not, even if there's no like evil plotting by people like Foxworthy or other mainstream comedians, there is subconscious incentives and conscious incentives of seeing the people who succeed and the people who don't, um, and, and going like, oh, you know, these are the guys. I don't, I don't want to say what they're saying. I, you know, people learn whether they realize it or not where the boundaries are, which is kind of what we were talking about before about your freedom is like in our, in our society where, what can I not talk about around these people, whether it's family, whether it's certain friends, where it's, whether it's certain, uh, whatever coworkers, certain, whatever, whatever subset of social life they're in, they learn whether they realize it or not. Oh, when I'm around grandma, I don't talk about anal sex. When I'm around, you know, the the pastor, I don't I don't make jokes about pastors fucking kids. You know, uh, they should, but they learn not to do that. Like if I knowing what I know now, you know, go, I would make so many jokes about that. I get in so much trouble as a kid. But yeah, it would it would be like, you know, any sort of, you know, you, you don't. It's the classic. I mean, the classic where there's immediate repercussions is you don't go to the airport and go through the the x-ray machine and make a joke about having a gun that's a carlin joke right i don't know if it's yeah yeah, probably but yeah it's basically like i remember hearing about a kid when i was a kid i remember hearing about a kid who did that a kid i knew who was i didn't know him well but like he was i knew he was in school with me and he had gone to jail because he did that (laughs) and yeah so it was like one of those things that the parents tried to scare the other kids like you saw what happened to that fucking idiot don't do that so there is there's also a line of like what you know, and some of those boundaries that we learn are very good because, yeah, I mean, I love fucked up jokes, but I'm not going to go taunting. You know, I'm not going to walk into a police station and start going, hey, you remember you remember the first Terminator movie? You remember when he when he came in the police station, and killed all the cops? That was fucking hilarious, wasn't it? You know, you don't just do, you don't do that because it's not going to be a good reaction to that because <laughs> they're going to assume that you're crazy and that there's like an implied threat there. But when you're on a stand up stage, the implied threat is no longer there. <laughs> You're, you're one, a of your, one of your jokes that really stood out to me was the one about uh, it's you you acknowledge at first that you were literally talking to a room full of other comics right like it's a small right right and and you say okay so you guys all pretty much agree with the freedom of speech and freedom of expression and they're all like yeah 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 and then you're like okay so you should be able to say anything you want and they're like yeah of course. And then you say, what about racial slurs? And then yeah, yeah. The, 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 there's just this awkward 
shift in the atmosphere of the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at one point, one of the other comics points out that like, this is so awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can hear him in the recording. Like, oh, this is bad. Like, yeah, yeah, because they don't really believe. But but that's the thing. And and I'm not I'm no fan of the fucking comics that use racial slurs. But at times in history, it has been put to great anti-racist use. So you can't ban it completely comics like George Carlin. And I mean, even, you know, Louis CK in most recent history, but like have used it to an, an, yeah. a very intelligent effect. Now, most comics, they want to be those guys and they, they'll, they're newer or less experienced, whatever they'll go on stage and say shit. That's horrifically uh, ignorant because they're trying to do what people who are super geniuses are doing and they can't. And, and they don't know that not to try it until you can at least make a good attempt at it. And it, right. and to some extent, you know, there's always going to be that. But, you know, it's it's one of those that's like the line of lines or whatever of like, you know, comics will say, oh, yeah, we believe in free speech. And I, and I go, yeah. Oh, well, what about this? And they're like, well, no, yeah. uh, no. Right. You know. There's there's certainly like a you can you have the freedom to do whatever you want. And I think that that to some extent, you know, Louis C.K. probably couldn't have gotten to the point where he was telling that joke. And it was funny if he had not been given the opportunity to try it and fail. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. And and most clubs were at least okay with him or knew him because at that time, you know, when he first did it, he wasn't really that famous. So, and actually when he first did it, it was his second special uh, that I know of. It was his second special, um, you know, because I don't know it, before he started recording stuff, how mm-hmm. often he did this thing, but like one of his most famous bits doing that where he's talking about white people and their ignorance but he, in that process, he used white people's favorite racial slur, and he, which is what I call in the albums or whatever, is is the he was already famous with his fans enough that when he did it, he was, I mean, he was recording a special, but he worked it out in the clubs, so he had already had one successful special, and he had fans that were filling the rooms in the comedy clubs, so it was more difficult for the comedy club owners to be the juice the the what are the 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 douchey fucking uh i don't know if you uh, how people probably don't have experience with club owners but the 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 nature of 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 a it's understandable if you're a bar or you're a comedy club you don't want people saying horrible shit that makes everybody run out i experienced I, I was, I've never even attempted or cared to put myself in the position of being a stand-up comedian, but I would spent some time when I was, you know, like 17 to 20 pursuing the professional wrestling business. And I know you don't believe that because of how small I am, but I really did. <laughs> no, I can see it like some Ray Mysterio shit or something. And he was not a but, big guy, right? He was, no, he was, he's about my height, maybe a little shorter than I am, but he was also jacked to the gills and right, I was a lot right. more into weightlifting, uh, you know, in my younger days. But the point being that uh, the level of tolerance of extreme misbehavior that you would see in the locker room because someone drew a crowd was insane, right? Like if you were a you know, former WWE guy who was wrestling on the independent circuit and they knew that your name on the marquee was selling, you could, you could be bad. You could be like not even good at your job at all. And you could have a briefcase full of drugs and you could, you know, anything you wanted and just demand bullshit. And then people would be like, well, but we kind of have to let them do that. Right. And they would treat people poorly. And it kind of, it, it was an excuse. That was the power that they had. So people were, and I wasn't necessarily saying that like Louis was doing that. I was saying say more like that. Uh, it was, 
he had the freedom to try much more crazy shit because the club owners couldn't at that moment, at least make mm -hmm. the economic argument that, Hey, you're scaring our customers out with your crazy shit. You're saying, yes. um, you, you can't do that because he brought all, I mean, by that point, because he was so regionally successful at least and had that first special out, he could, uh, Maybe not 100% of the people were there just to see him, but 60, maybe 80% were. So the club owner couldn't be like, fuck this guy, kick him off stage. Because if he did that, he'd just walk across the street and so would everyone in the crowd. So it's, it's, there is something to be said, you know, for if, if you've got enough of an audience already where they allow you to do that. Because, uh, yeah, most people, yeah, I still get shit at open mics. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised. That's why oftentimes open mics turn into uh, whatever uh, booked shows and not open mics is because the businesses fear what any stupid person might get on stage and say. And and I get why, because, yeah, if somebody goes on and starts saying horrible shit, they, then it's possible all of their customers will leave and they won't sell drinks that night. At the same time, don't, you know, don't say it's a comedy club or don't have an open mic if it's, you know, if, if it's not open. If you're going to micromanage and tell people not to fucking say certain things or broach certain subjects or, you know, so it's, 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 it's a difficult thing, again, based on, you know, how experienced the comic is and, and the fact that you need the freedom in order to, to do it. But yet most people don't have the experience to do it well, so it is going to piss people off. But that's part of the necessary pool of uh experience generating uh you know atmosphere that is necessary to to really um yeah make make the louis ck thing or the chris rock thing or whatever it is that they originally might not have been you know whatever to to expand into these legendary bits or whatever that that really both uh, make people laugh and enlighten people or whatever you know do you feel that like in your own act that club owners, you know, don't want you around because of constantly. Yeah. <laughs> like constantly. It, it certainly I mean, would appear that way. Yeah. It's just in my experience, I've been, you know, doing stand up for technically like almost eight years and, and doing uh, before that yelling in metal bands and punk bands and hardcore bands for another fucking 15 years. And, even that, you know, you say shit in between songs about political shit, anti-war, whatever, and people get pissy. Um, so, so I had already a lot of experience with that. Um, but, but yeah, since doing stand-up, I was trying to do the math, roughly approximating. It's probably between a quarter and a third of every venue I've ever performed at eventually banned me from performing at it, just based on what they usually say. There was nice. They were nice about it. They were like, "Look, it's just bad for business." It's just we can't have people railing against this, this, and this. You know, you got to be funny and stupid funny and acceptable funny and blah, blah, blah. You know, we don't want, you know, so I was, it's pretty much even even ones that were very supportive. Years later, eventually somebody else took over the show or something like that and they banned me from performing. <laughs> so, it's yeah, it's somewhere between a fourth and a third of every venue I've ever performed at eventually said you can't perform here anymore. <laughs> so, I mean... I think I know the answer to the question already, but like, do you, do you think that there is an extent to where you can work your way in, you know, like infiltrate and then 
turn once you've gained that audience or is it just kind of a, well, th- I mean, there's a, that whole thing. Do you have to be Ray Romano until you have an audience and then turn into fucking Carlin? No, yeah. you, there, there are certain people who did that and, or tried to do that. Um, and it's just varying degrees of success, but really even back in the day, Carlin did the opposite. He was, he was hardcore critical of, of things in his standup and then became kind of um, cheese ballish. And yeah. were kind of successful with that, and then went back to what he was doing. People think it often he was cheeseball, and then became super critical of everything. But he started out super critical of everything, and that's what actually got him his start. He was part of a two-man group, um, and um, he and his partner were doing some really fucking awesome shit. Critical of like this, in 1958 or something, 1961, yeah. they're out there criticizing KKK and making fun of whatever the church and shit like that. And, and, and they were ordinarily, they would have faced um, difficulties as far as work is concerned, except at that time there were comics that fostered that environment and who got them a deal, a record deal. Fucking Lenny Bruce got them a Lenny. Mort Saul was like, yeah, these guys. And then later, you know, those uh, eventually they even helped them out even further in getting Pryor and Carlin uh, in touch with uh, Steve Allen, who ran a tonight show kind of show back in the day and, and other people to put them on TV and who, because those people originally put Mort Saul and Lenny Bruce on TV. So they, they, those, when there were comics that gave a shit and knew how much pressure there was forcing back on, on like um, any comic that was going to be, uh, smart and funny about really fucked up shit and shit that the establishment doesn't want you to even bring up, let alone ridicule that then, you know, it's, it's, I would argue it takes those other comics sometimes to, to put their finger on the scale and kind of push back against the, the inevitabilities of the dynamics of, of a, a corporate or even government predominantly run society uh, authoritarian in any sense. Um, that would restrict certain views from being public because they, again, they used their power uh, to, to kind of lift uh, voices that would have never been heard. Now later, you know, again, Carlin became much more mainstream, although he was still subversive to a certain extent, just more subtly. So, and then he later became much more openly. So again, uh, you <laughs> know, yeah, a, yeah. Like in his later years, it, it Oh, yeah, yeah. really a stand-up comedy show anymore. That's what people think. But yeah, yeah. But I still think it is. I think it's the best. I think it's some of the best stand-up ever recorded. But yeah, a lot of people don't think it was that good or funny or whatever. But I think it's his funniest shit, even though I like his other shit. It was as if he he had honed down his best bits from the 60s and 70s and and just expanded upon uh, any a number of more ideas into uh yeah, some legendary shit that that honestly makes most people very uncomfortable and sad and and not and angry. It doesn't make most people laugh, but the people who know about those things and you know are really into uh, you know ridiculing those things, it's some of the most profound. And therefore, because of that, the most funny shit. Again, like I said, once you, you know, if you're talking about a profound, if you're revealing a profound truth about refrigerators, it's not that hard to do. You know, people have experienced a lot of people could do that, but not everybody can reveal a profound truth about organized religion or government or military or corporate abuses of power. And Carlin could and and did it so effectively that and humanity too, just talking about human nature, that it horrified people. And so even if they could 
laugh at it at some point. They could, they just couldn't fucking hear the subject matter. Uh, but yeah, but as you were saying before, I wanted to say because the the um, the point is important because recently uh, uh, some a venue told me this, and I was very surprised to hear it. But yeah, they were they were saying uh, everybody I think is familiar with Bill Hicks, who's a great comic, also who fucking criticized a lot of shit and was very fucking funny doing it. Although yeah. a lot of people despite today, all that. His best bit is the one about Elvis giving away free Cadillacs. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, like he has such a high percentage of amazing shit compared to any other comedian that ever lived. That it's like, yeah, he's he's one of the greatest of all time. And and most people, most people listening, if you put most Americans in a movie theater and, and had them watch his shit, they'd be like, they might laugh occasionally, but they like, this guy's not that funny because they're used to fucking Ray Romano or whatever. So. But my point is that this this venue was like, yeah, yeah, because I, you know, I was having a productive discussion with with the the people there and, and going like, why, you know, why isn't why aren't more venues cool with things? And and, uh, and they were like, yeah, yeah, Bill Hicks wouldn't make it today. He wouldn't be allowed to perform in any club in America, and he would, yeah, he certainly wouldn't be in any success. Now he wasn't very successful here. He was very successful in Britain. But he was yeah. successful enough here that he was able to do the touring circuit and, you know, make whatever, hundreds of dollars a night playing each fucking venue or whatever. Um, you know, they, they but now the the corporate environment, just the the obsession with pleasing the masses and pleasing everyone and not offending any one idiot in the crowd has gotten to such an extent that, yeah, this person was like, you know, uh, yeah, Bill Hicks wouldn't make it today at all. And when I heard him say it, he didn't say it like this was a bad thing. He said it that this is a good thing. It's good because he was the venue. So he was saying this is a good thing. This is a guy who I would think is a total fan of Bill Hicks. And yet, because his he represents his other interests, was like, no, he would never make it today. And that's a good thing because we shouldn't have people like ranting on stage about shit and pissing people off we should have people on stage who are pleasing everyone in the crowd that's what this fucking actually you know and that and that's a prevailing opinion in in the wider culture in the broader you know whether it's bars or comedy clubs but especially comedy clubs they've like all the land locked comedy clubs have turned into cruise ship comedy club <laughs> like the, the 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 famous stereotype about cruise ship comedy being like you know for elderly morons and, you know, the dumbest, even Jeff Dunham would be like, that. that's some dumb shit. You know, like, that's some simplistic shit right there. You know, even Ray Romano would be like, this is too tame. This is way too family friendly. The shit that goes on there. Now they're, they've transformed so that almost every comedy club in the country is pumping that sort of shit. You'll occasionally have someone who goes through who's, who's kind of controversial, but only because they have a huge audience already. I don't think they're engendering any further, like, um, next generation of comics that are coming up. Uh, that, you know, in that sense, they, they seem to be incentivizing, vastly incentivizing the opposite for people to be less uh, aggravating, less uh, confrontational or whatever, you know. So, so in that sense, I, I feel is a, it's a yeah, it's a danger to the uh, the culture of America and to the to the freedom. Uh, to you know, we're getting a lot of watered down shit, and nobody sees the fucking hot dogs how they're being made behind the scenes. I would uh, just to give him some respect, like Jeff Dunham. While he never, I don't think he ever said anything, at least in his specials that I've seen, that was like prolific. 
sort of his genius to some extent was that he, while he represents this really, you know, clean cut, lovable guy that the entire audience can rep- like, you know, vibe with and what, whatever, you know, right. dumb grandma can get along. He would use that puppet Walter as like his way of saying all the offensive things that he wanted to say, but right. it's not his fault. It's the puppet's fault. It right. Fall for that That's trick, one right? of the advantages of the puppet is, is yeah. deflecting, you know, the blame to a third party. And yeah, yeah. I'm not knocking like Jeff Dunham is a, a successful com. I'm just saying he made that, he made the choice of going the mainstream route, you know, he, Mm. and that's partly because he's a puppet, you know, puppet act is not likely to, I mean, I guess there's been a couple through the years that did really obscene shit. And it was funny because it was like, kind of like a kid's show that was all fucked up or whatever. But like the, the Dunham is like a, you know, he's definitely, I'm not saying he's terrible. I'm just saying, you know, he's really good at what he does. And what he does is the stuff that is, palatable and enjoyable for the mo- for the majority in any country it would be the kind of stuff that works the the best and and it would be you know it's the kind of thing even though he's very you know it's like gallagher used to smash fucking, <laughs> you know smash fruit on stage or whatever like that that and he used to occasionally have a profound line or something you know like he would occasionally he would do some stand up he was technically a competent stand up uh some would say very good uh, but it was still, it wasn't, you know, um, he wasn't, he was trying to sell tickets. He wasn't trying to fucking change things. He wasn't a philosopher about it. He was, he was a businessman about it. He was a, an entertainer about it. And he recognizes a certain point, you know, in order to entertain and sell the most tickets and get the most people, th- then gimmicks work. Whether the gimmick is a puppet or the gimmick is a sledgehammer smashing watermelons or the gimmick is a fucking, uh, uh, doing magic tricks while you're doing stand up, or the or the the gimmick the the gimmick is something that brings people in because they're used to that other shit. When they were a kid, they saw puppet shows, they liked puppet shows. So now let's watch a you know one you know that that we can people want something they can watch with their kids, which is also a problem because we're such a fundamentalist religious country that you know you can watch fucked up shit with your kids, but most people don't. They don't you know to teach them about you know this is what the world is like you should probably try to make the world a better place than, than what it is, but you have to know about, you know, you watch the Godfather with your kid who's eight, you know, this is some fucked up shit, but you can explain everything along the way, or you can totally shelter and, and hold your kid back from the perception of reality as long as possible. But then they're not going to, for first of all, they're going to be fucked over by people repeatedly because they, they're unaware of all the corrupt shit in the world. But secondly, they're also not going to succeed in a world they're less likely to, at least that, that that they're not familiar with the the underlying processes of. I remember um, my grandmother is really cool, right? She's listened to the show, so first of all, hey, Momo, how are you doing? Oh, hey. <laughs> um, but she she and I were watching Reservoir Dogs together one day. Hell yeah! And then w- when it's over, she says like, "That was a good movie, but I wish they didn't cuss so much." <laughs> and I looked at her and I was like, "Momo." Uh, what do you think bank robbers talk like? Do you think that, or I guess they're jewel thieves in this movie, but like, what do you think criminals, how do you think they speak to each other? Like, should we pretend like they're all just clean cut dudes that don't ever curse for the sake of not offending the audience? Or should we tell the story how it is? No, but that is a very revealing thing. There's a very, uh, and it reminds me actually of, of things that other comedians have said um, in the sense of, um, 
that what your grandmother thought there and said there is indicative of, of a widespread view in humanity and is a very important moral thing to address um, because it's, it's it, not just this country, but everywhere, is what we notice is not the bad thing. I don't know if it's a cognitive dissonance thing in our psychology, but it's a your, your grandmother at the end of the movie didn't turn to you. She, she turned to you and said, I wish that was a good movie, but I wish they didn't cuss so much. But she didn't turn to you and say, that was a good movie. I wish, I wish they didn't murder so much. Exactly. God, you're, yeah, you got it. You, you've nailed it right on the head. Where's the priority? Where's the priority of our minds and our society that words trump violence? And that, that, that like we, but they don't technically, we are just taught to, we can't do anything about this. So let's do something. It's like a superficial solution that we're all programmed to kind of like go for because we can win that. We can tell them, hey, don't cuss in the movie. Can't tell them to not cut his ear off. I mean, come on. But that we can tell him not to so cuss. True. It's 100% the point that I... And, I, and again, I love violent movies. I'm not ar- making an argument for violent movies, but, but I'm saying it reflects the world that we would be concerned with what, say, for instance, any country's soldiers do say on the battlefield like if there's oh, this is terrible he was he was killing uh, a guy in the middle east but while he did it he said something uh, an offensive uh, statement about uh, the middle east person that he was killing and now that is wrong for someone to be bigoted and that is dumb of them to be bigoted against people in the middle east but it's much more wrong for them to kill that person well so it's it's the priorities of information like how are you you know, you know, you understand what I mean. Like we would, we would prior to because we would never argue as a country. You know that 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 we can't, or we can't stop this war, but we can stop the the mean way that we're murdering people. We, I know it's the uniquely modern thing that we see in the American military is this expectation of your warriors to be civilized when they come home. Right. Right. So. I mean, talk to any Marine you've ever met, talk to any soldier you've ever met, any airman, any, any sailor, I know they don't like to be called seamen, but (laughs) there's this huge push in the military currently because of recruiting really to be very PC, right? Like curse in the work environment and all that kind of thing. Right. And then, and they teach you that when you go through like basic and, and, and through tech school, it stays the same way. Yeah, because you're supposed to look legitimate. You're supposed to look like you're the good guy, even when right. you're doing very bad things. And that's part and of the when, propaganda of every country's military for a long time. When you get to the operational side of things, suddenly that all goes away because you're going to meet someone who's seen combat and they're not going to act that way at all. They're going to be like, no, this is serious fucking business. And they, they, they will look you in the eye and be like, no, motherfucker. We're not playing that game. You don't get to be a little pussy anymore. And we're we're going out there and this is going to be real. And and usually that doesn't come from like I don't think I've never met anyone who was even even like uh what's that fucking dumbass? American sniper, like that kind of shit. Right. That super propagandized stuff. Right. I can't I can't think or say that I've ever met any person in the military who was overtly proud of the lives that they'd taken or participated in the, you know, destruction. Right. So, right at all they're just like they're so in and they're so dependent on it that it's like this is the situation we're in and we have to protect ourselves and right right. they felt they had to do it at the time that's one of the the biggest arguments that is made and both sides make that argument of every war that's ever been fought that they they had to do it because the other guy was trying to do it but yeah again and that's where you get up the chains of like command of who's making the decisions and forcing the soldiers on both sides to do the fighting and you go, Hey, these leaders shouldn't be allowed to force these people to fight. 
to put these people in this situation where they have, you know, but that's a whole nother thing. But yeah, yeah I get what you're saying. That's what Ozzy was singing about in War Pigs. Ah. <laughs> yeah, lots of old references. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's kind of about an hour in here. I guess I'll try to make the podcast about what it's supposed to be about. <laughs> we see the same thing in the video game industry now. And oh, I've yeah. come up in the independent scene of games very much not doing the corporate AAA side of things because you have the same exact problem where all of the major huge successful triple a million dollar products just like in the movie industry or in the comedy or in any entertainment industry there is there's this need to please the masses and what are the most prevalent um <laughs> examples of this is like games about killing people you know like war simulation right right, right. You know, call of duty i mean fortnite is more about building than really about combat but regardless like we've we've made it and I, again, this is as a person who loves first person shooters and violence in video games, I'm just saying like, we've created it, <laughs> this environment where it's very normal to do shit like that. Meanwhile, yeah. the independent game scene is more like about, you know, like horror and, you know, visual novels and these people who are legitimately just trying to express themselves through this medium. Right. And you get a lot of really beautiful stuff from that. But as soon as the, <laughs> the corporate, um, boa constrictor gets a hold of your product. It's all about money, time, people pleasing. Yeah, and and again, yeah, I'm a strong supporter of violent video games too, and movies. Yeah. Like I think they're awesome, and I think it's good that you know when GTA basically became a top selling game, it was way you know it probably you know ten years ago. I don't know that the top selling game was one that you could just punch prostitutes in the face or whatever. And, you know, that, that's something GTA, you know, it's just, it was a stupid, whatever it was, but it was the, it, it gave you the freedom to do all the fucked up antisocial shit that you can't do in reality in a video game, which I would argue cuts down on people doing the antisocial shit in real life. So 100%. that violent yeah. movies and violent video games are healthy for the psychology of the population. And nobody so, makes that argument, but they if, I, if, if you're the kind of person who needs to do that, I'd rather you do it in a simulated. Yeah, environment exactly. Exactly. That's right. exactly what simulated environments should be used for is, is that sort of uh, one of the primary purposes at least, but yeah, but, but yeah, I get, again, you know, the argument I was making before is more about the reality of things, you know, not to right. say that reservoir dogs, Oh, shouldn't have had ear cutting in it or shouldn't have had all those shooting and killing. No, it should have, should have had more. It's, it's like the, the, the kind of like the way it's about our priorities in reality and how we perceive things and how we perceive things that can't be stopped, even though they can be, but it's a higher uphill battle. So we choose lower plateaus on the hill to go, let's fix that, which is not really important at all. And oftentimes also authorities direct us towards that. Um, right. to, to kind of prevent us from focusing on the things that they don't want us to correct. So in, in that same sense, you know, obscenity, not using bad words or whatever, the whole propriety kind of thing of, you know, an upper class kind of like talking way of not talking about certain things is the, the suppression of certain subject matter and, and conversation is, is a, a strategic, uh, tool of, of authorities. They, they don't want, you know, that's why, you know, you go, whatever certain places are like, don't talk about religion or politics. It's like who the person who said that was probably co deeply connected in religion and politics and was like, yeah, we don't want to, cause when you get in arguments and when you get in arguments, you threaten our power or whatever, you know, cause you might come up with some solution that, that replaces us or whatever. It's just like a constant, you know, 
battle of ideas. But if you don't allow people to have the battle of ideas, then they can't come up with new shit. Uh, now, there's again, there's going to be a lot of dumb bickering, but that's just part of the again the whole the overall, uh, yeah, what a you know component of of that. Um, but yeah, yeah, the the thing I was referring to those that you know the Reservoir Dogs should have the violence, but the real world should not have the violence, and we should be doing things um, in you know in in the real life. You know, it's not not just the people who are upset about cussing in movies; they're upset when people cuss in person. But I'd like to see a preacher, actually, church pastor, get up in church on Sunday when everybody's there and go, hey, fuckers, we got to stop all the war and the murders and everything, the, all <laughs> this stuff. We really got to stop it right now because you fucking idiots, you asshole, jerk face dickheads are doing, you know, just start cussing up a storm going like we need to stop the real problem and and well, not obsessed the only- with other things that aren't a problem. It's not a problem to say the word dickhead. It's a problem for somebody to fucking cut off somebody's head. That's the problem. The only issue is that the people who tend to be brave enough to do that are like your Jim Joneses of the world, right? Like, so he was doing that. He was getting up on, you know, in front of his entire. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. shit exactly like that. <laughs> I didn't really <laughs> do that. I knew he, he <laughs> killed all his followers or whatever yeah that's the cult sort of whatever i was just making a joke about you know that that the priorities that we have because yeah he he did both then he cussed and he killed people we want people who don't kill people and yet cuss and you know at least uh, find if you're going to object to the behavior of a human animal what's really the worst thing and if you had a whole cascade or if you had a whole gradient of What's better and what's worse? Is cussing really that bad? Now, the implication from the old school days or whatever of our grandmas is that if you cussed, it meant that you had looser morals and you you could stab someone in the neck at the drop of a hat because you said the word fuck or something. You know, it's it, that you had looser control over yourself and your mind and your actions. Now, that's wrong, but I understand why they were indoctrinated into thinking that. But still, the the we have to piece together, okay, saying a word is not bad. And what's also very important is you have to raise people to not be offended by words. We got raised in such a Victorian uptight society that if you said the word fuck, the person you said it to would challenge you to do a duel next. Like that's like, whoa, what where where's the escalation there? But that's what they were taught that it was so disrespectful that the next step was a battle to the death. And like why why was that the case? Because well, with very rigid social structure that was designed that way for certain purposes and yeah people went to duel against each other regularly for uh, offending uh yeah. the, you know someone and it's, it's ridiculous and we lost some of the greatest smartest minds in history because of duels and eventually they got rid of them socially they they, they disincentivized them socially um, well, you you see the same thing like in just different cultures that exist today like i have friends in you know new zealand and australia and you know as you know the word cunt flows oh yeah like just like, like right off the tongue. And I explained to them, like, if you say that in America, you better be ready to fight someone's boyfriend. And then after you beat his ass, then you got to fight her. Like, right. It's, it's such a, yeah, yeah p- potentially it's, it's just like a, Ooh, that's a, I don't know why. Like I can't even think of a good reason why that's such a bad word. It's just for some reason. It oh, over like time. A, yeah. Certain, certain words over time gain a certain, um, attitude about them right and, and when you talk to people and just like you know everything's cool until it but like don't ever say like, it, like really i'm trying to like 
I'm trying to be polite about this, but you know, like really, really ignorant, unthoughtful people will tell you when you meet them, like I have this list of things that like, just do not approach these topics with me. And I'm like, well, why? And if you say this word, that's going to, I'm just going to get it set off. So you're like, you're telling me that you've been trained and conditioned. Right. Like a machine, like you, you right. press a button and they, they cook, yeah. uh, they toast the yeah. bread. Like why, why are people so machine like, yeah, it, it's yeah. all, there's a lot of context, but there's also a lot of, yeah. Again, if somebody, yeah, is yelling aggressively at you and walking towards you and you don't know them, then yeah, what they say might be threatening in some way and you might want to just whatever you steer clear or whatever but like but yeah to 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 use these words is not uh the important thing or at least they have one one hundredth the importance of the actions particularly when i was talking about before is the violence like the yeah. fact you know the the fact that we should have more movie and video game violence uh to prevent real violence because human beings we're animals we're technically apes and we have to we have to get out that impulse. We have to get out the aggression. If we don't regularly get out our aggression, uh, it comes out in other ways. <laughs> and, and a lot of people who end up snapping or whatever and going, doing violent things, horrible things, or, or just people generally who are quick to fight or whatever, they, yeah. they're people who don't regularly get to express themselves, don't get to release their aggression, don't get to uh, release all the pent-up anger that they have about whatever. Um, and then there's a variety of ways they can healthily do that, but those ways are largely suppressed by the societies they live in. Yeah. So, so, you're, so in a, mm -hmm. you're in Southeast Arizona, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the guys that made postal live here in Tucson, right? Like, uh, so Vince Desi and that was like the game, like postal Grand Theft Auto, Mortal Kombat and Doom were like the games that basically they blamed Columbine on, right? Like okay. violence you know, causes this thing. And I had the opportunity, which was of a lifetime, to interview both of those guys. And also to, I was, I was interviewed for a documentary that's being made about them. Shout out to the Go Postal people. Ah, shameless plug. <laughs> but um, they, they are like the sweetest, nicest people in the world. Yeah. And, and when I talk to them about this, I'm like, so like, you know, because they were basically like unjustly indicted for causing school shootings by making video games, you know, violent video. Right. Games. Right. They were and an they, easy target at the time, an easy scapegoat. Right. And their, their point of view is like, uh, exactly what we're both saying really. Vince Desi, especially like who, who's the creator of the game. He's like, I think that video games and, or anything like art, you know, you can have violence in art, you should not do it in real life. And that's, it should be a very clear distinction to anyone. Like, why are we even having a discussion about whether or not if you can do it in a video game means you can do it in real life. Like, exactly. You wouldn't just walk down the street, popping caps in people. The whole story of the game is like this guy who's so frustrated by society that he ends up taking out his aggression on people. Right. And because a, he's fucked up in the head. And a very important point about that, a yeah. caveat about that, is that as why just as, as a matter of physics of why they they were not at all responsible for Columbine is <laughs> literally and this is the type of information that should be obvious to everyone, but isn't and because there's so much information it's clouded environment and especially when there's a crisis or whatever and so people just reach for whatever they're looking for uh, blame and whatever. Literally, the name of the fucking video game is Postal. <laughs> that means it was based on the things that were already happening where postal yes. workers were shooting their employees. Every yes. once in a while in America, 
postal workers apparently had such a shitty job that they would freak the fuck out and kill everybody there. That was before Columbine. That was happening. It had never happened at a school before Columbine, maybe. I don't know. Probably that's not even true. But but the point is that nobody thought that, oh, yeah, postal calls to Columbine. Wait, wait a minute. The, the name of the game is based off of a cultural phenomenon. It's already been happening for years. Yes, you're correct. That is exactly how I feel. So it's like it's a strange, uh, you know, sort, sort of, um, yeah, sort of, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's frustratingly ignorant to blame a game you you might as well have said no the the game didn't influence people the columbine shooters the postal workers did you know the, all the postal workers who had done that but more importantly my favorite blame actually for that columbine thing was what part of michael moore's movie uh bowling for columbine yeah was when he said i think it was i think it was him that said it just as it was an off comment or whatever in the middle of it we said, uh, nobody said, you know, they said the Marilyn Manson or the video games or whatever movies uh, contributed to the cause of this, but nobody ever said that maybe he wasn't influenced by the video games. Maybe he wasn't influenced by the music or the movies. Maybe he was influenced by his dad who worked at Lockheed Martin and his job every day was to kill people in the Middle East. Maybe, <laughs> That's maybe the-, <laughs> the video games that he was playing that they cite and the music he was listening to was his outlet that kept him from them, that both of them. From doing it before they did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. But I just yeah. thought it was. I just thought it was great to be like. Yes. Yeah, Marilyn Manson, as far as we know, didn't actually ever kill anybody. But his dad worked at a company where he regularly built bombs and rockets that contributed to the deaths of thousands of people. And so maybe he was. They were saying maybe he was influenced by his dad. His but we see, <laughs> we see that so glorified all the time. Right. right exactly. Exactly. There's certain being certain, a member of the military is this like right. Certain kind of killing pedestal. is okay. Yeah. Right. It, certain kind of killing is glorified. Certain kind of killing is is horrifying, and you should never do it. But you should do it if it profits corporate corporate America. You should do it if it fucking yeah. you know expands the empire. Then go by all means, please. You know, and that's that's the yeah, that's the normal thinking in every society. China does the same shit. North Korea does the same shit. Saudi Arabia does the same shit. Britain does the same shit. It's all Russia. It's all that that um yeah, we're all indoctrinated to some extent in the uh, the means of our country's uh, expanding wealth and power. Well, it's like uh, it's it's strange because there is a shift. There's like a pre-Vietnam and post-Vietnam sort of like change in the way that our country approached warfare we can argue about world war ii but realistically even if the politics were wrong like most people felt like they they were doing the right thing when they shipped off to world war ii right right to some extent a lot of good came out of that war oh yeah 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 yeah. now again i argue the whole thing could have been prevented years before if if it hadn't (laughs) been for jerks in in authority in, in yeah, corporations yeah. and government in all the governments of the world and in all the major corporations of the world really could have handled things so much better to prevent that entire thing. <laughs> but because they didn't, they left us in a situation again where you had two choices. We have to fucking, you, you have to go to war or you don't. And yeah, at that point, yeah, there's, you ha- clearly have to deal with the, the fuckhead who's trying to take over the world. But you can prevent the fuckhead for who's trying to take over the world every time in history. You can prevent the fuckhead who's trying to take over the world. Yeah. You just have to not support them. We we arm and support so many people. And yeah, Hitler is just another example of American companies and a, a number of other uh, countries' companies contributing to his rise because it made money and it was a good business decision at the time. But you should have said, no, this guy's a bigoted dictator. Let's not support him. Let's not give him any business. But they didn't do that because, yeah, there's no, uh, there's no ethics in a large-scale business. And yeah, we do the same thing right now with Saudi Arabia. Who knows? 
uh, what country is later going to try to fucking take over the world with some new technology they have? Who knows what the fuck? And we could have stopped it by not doing business with a country that we know is horrifically authoritarian and fucked up, bigoted or whatever. Uh, fundamentalist, you know, that kind of thing. It's it's just like a whatever. It's it's just a sad reality of the uh, large scale uh, business environment and, and government. How they, uh, you know, the whole uh, how World War One started was a fucking chain reaction of uh, it, just all the countries in the world had set up this complicated system of like, you know, if this, then that. Yeah, the alliance. Yeah, the, if this, then that. So, so when when it all it all cascaded down, and the line, the alliance system converged swiftly to all out war, and it was like and, and left a lot of people going, "What the fuck just happened?" But and maybe it was before you know they knew about chaotic dynamics and they didn't understand the math of it, but they should have to some extent, you know. So yeah, it it's there, yeah that that kind of shit. We have to be better with our forethought. Uh, you know, yeah, surrounding that sort of shit. Which country? Well, was a, you know, the the whole alliance system was an early attempt at you know mutually assured destruction. Like, right, right. But then it converged straight towards that. <laughs> so, so like you know, Franz Ferdinand gets assassinated. I, I actually did a whole podcast on World War One oh, specifically because the yeah. the game was the game in question was about uh, being a French soldier in World War One. Okay, that's yeah, that was a whole thing, but. It's a is a uniquely uh, and and should have been a very educating experience of like let's make sure this doesn't and they tried that you know like the, we had the Geneva Conventions and and all that kind of shit to try to like okay let's not do this again and within like twenty thirty years we're doing it again and uh, ever since then you know since nuclear power was the result of World War Two uh, though we haven't seen the same thing you know we're not going to have a another war that is caused by essentially like for America's point of view, in my understanding of history, we our real incentive for entering that was like our economic disparity because of the great depression and the fall of the stock market and blah, blah, blah. And then we enter the war Pearl Harbor. We didn't have to go to war in Germany over Pearl Harbor, but we chose to, right? Because it made sense financially for the entire country. And, and honestly, like, I do think that the Nazis needed to be dealt with, and I'm glad that we helped to some extent with that, maybe. But yeah, it's 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 crazy how that is the real. Like if you study it in hindsight, it looks like that. And if you're paying attention now, you see the same thing. You're talking about you know, the stuff with Saudi Arabia. We could say the same thing about China, um, and that's another thing that translates into the tech and gaming industry. So like, there's all these businesses currently that are like very willing to compromise with China because of the money involved, and and I'm saying, like, don't you see the result of that? Like, right, right. And, there, and yeah. there's something to be said for, you know, like, and I get why, you know, there's an argument to be made by like countries like Saudi Arabia and China could be maybe made to acquiesce or whatever by by them becoming more economically intertwined with the United States. That they would actually prevent a war by being more uh, economically uh, connected. Um, but at the same time, you could have made the same argument about Germany in in the past, but but you couldn't. Because it was all about like, well, what were you, what were you dealing to the, what were you, what were the business transactions that you were doing? Oh, you large scale machinery and weaponry and stuff. And, and like, there's, there's something to be said for the types of business. So if you're helping China, you know, I don't know if Google's doing it, but if Google's helping China censor their internet, 
then that's not good. That's not a helpful right. business for China. Yeah. If if yeah. so, if you're if you're a company that's helping Saudi Arabia become more of an authoritarian dictatorship than it already is, and it's pretty close to as much as you could be, like, it, or you're helping prop it up as that, then it, it's like, what are you? You're not. That's not the we type see. of economic interconnection that is going to prevent a future war. That's the type that could cause a problem down the line. So, so yes, let's be inter- economically inter- interconnected with these uh, countries, but in a way that makes them more cool and less terrible. You studied up on uh, Waco and the Branch Davidians. Stuff. I mean, I know a little bit of stuff, but I, I never like, yeah. I never did a, a paper on it. <laughs> to, dr- to draw it back to Postal, <laughs> because I'm obsessed with that game. There's a level in it where you you go visit Uncle David and and, and it's like a, a compound, a Christian compound. Like a <laughs> That's awesome. And the ATF are all like <laughs> surrounding the place. That's and, fucking and you got to fight through them and all the cultists and everything to, you know, that eventually is really find your Uncle funny. David. Yeah. And that, that's the whole point to me. Like postal was the South park of video games, but no, but um, you know what they should do? They should make a video game about uh, a sh- first person shooter game about the uh, video game tournament where the guy shot people. Yeah. And that, that's, <laughs> that's kind of where I'm getting at because sure. like the, so why does so many mil- military members get out of the military and become these e- extremist anti-government people and it happens all the time if oh, you yeah. actually watch there's a television series on netflix it's not the most accurate series in the world but it does touch on some pretty real things and the atf was going in this direction at the time of like the the show starts with this this guy and i believe in idaho who had been you know he was a former i want to say ranger and he had decided upon his departure from the military that he wanted to be a you know completely independent person you know he wanted to live out in the woods with him and his kids and his wife and not depend on the government and live off the grid and do that whole thing you know that's cool we live in a free country yeah. whatever yeah and as a result of his need to survive he was stockpiling ammunition and suddenly it becomes like a an atf issue and then they go up and they they actually invade his property solely on the idea that like well he's stockpiling ammunition why is he doing that and then they end up shooting everyone in his family his kids and his wife except for him right in the right. attempt to seize him and it's like this whole you know like fiasco and that was the beginning of that and then waco happens the atf gets involved because he i mean i'm not going to say he what he was probably most likely from what i understand a kid fucker and you know fuck him right right and all that. <laughs> but like he had the like constitutionally he has the right to have as much fucking shit as he wants, especially in Texas, I would assume. But they see this as a threat and he's like weird and different and living off the grid and he's got a whole bunch of people behind him. So they're like, they yeah, see this as a threat to the government. Them. Yeah, yeah. Or it's an opportunity for them. It's it's like violent douchey people yeah. uh, antagonizing other violent douchey people so that they can be violent and douchey together. It's it's yeah. like it's kind of like a street fight uh, escalation where, yeah, yeah. Pe- some people just like that shit. They just enjoy it. They, so it's sad, but yeah, yeah. So there are people in the government at the ATF and stuff who are all itching for a fight. And there are people who are anti-government fucking whatevers that are itching for a fight. And sometimes those two people fucking come together. They, the thing is that like they, the ATF in this scenario chose to involve and, and invoke violence on a situation that oh, yeah, yeah. would not have otherwise, right, right. at least it seems, 
called for violence at all. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing. That's how um, these things start. Like that one side that's itching for the violence, yeah, does it, and then it now the other side's got to respond, and it, yeah. and it just creates this chain reaction. One could argue that I forget that was Ruby Ridge, right? Um, yeah. That yeah. where I forget if that happened before Waco or after. It was before before Waco. Okay, so yeah, so before that, and then like I'm sure some whatever anti-government somebody did something, maybe Unabomber, I don't know. And then, and then that fucking the Waco thing happened, and then the Oklahoma City bombing happened. It's like this back and forth, like there's this is war going on between yeah. anti-government libertarians, whatever, and and the federal government authoritarians. Like, but they're enjoying it, just like the stupid street <laughs> fights that happen mostly in Europe, but increasingly in soccer hooligans. Yes. Yeah. yes. Well, no, but not even that. But the political uh, kind of street fights yeah. that happen between like uh, whatever fascists and communists in in different cities in Europe. It's like a regular occurrence in Greece. Or whatever that that law, they just go out and beat the shit out of each other. Because in those countries, it's more mainstream to be one of those things. So they're, they're so more of the jocks are in that. In this country, you don't get a lot of jocks in the right wing or left wing extremist groups. You get more nerdy guys. You know, they're, they're less jock type, cerebral, right thinkers. But yeah, right, right. So, so I mean, but increasingly in Portland and Seattle, there's more of these street fights. But so I guess it's catching on. But yeah, more you know, usually jock type people do other things than, than uh, get into politics in America. In, it's in- a point of view that's not spoken about enough because, I mean, I, I know that the 80s, you know, movie stereotype of like the jock being the bully and all that kind of thing. But in, in my experience, and this is granted, you know, like later on in the 2000s really, but the jocks were more militarized. They were these guys who were taught to be warriors on the, on the field, but to be like upstanding citizens in front of the public. That's their expectation. You know, you make good grades and you get into college so you can be a successful uh, sports, whatever the fuck you want to be, that kind of thing. So they're a lot more diplomatic. Oh, okay. Then, well, I mean, yeah, I just know my, the old experience was definitely there where they were the bullies and they were the, or they were just the people who had the power as far as the social system was concerned in, in uh, high school or whatever. But, and some of them were jerks, but some of them weren't. And I actually saw a couple of times through the years, a couple like of the actually smaller, seemingly less fight capable jocks they were still on teams and stuff but but stand up for people in situations where one of the other douchey jocks was was you know hating on a nerd or whatever and and they they stood up for them when they were outmatched even but they you know they what they said in the moment was so cool and so like profound and it shut down it totally diffused the uh anger of the bully and uh and and made the 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 victim of the the potential attack, they were about to get their ass kicked or something. And yeah. this person stepped in and prevented it with words. And that was, it was just a couple of profound experiences where I remember that happened. And like, damn, that was, that dude is not only like yeah. capable of, of physical, whatever, but also very smart as far as human interaction is concerned. I'm not saying that I didn't know jocks that were assholes, right, but I'm, right. I also like, I, like I grew up in Alabama. So like, a football player there is not thinking about, you know, I'm just going to play football in high school. They're like, I want well, yeah, to yeah. Alabama. Yeah, it's you a know, career to them. Don't right. fuck up the and, career kind of thing. Right. So like getting in a fight in school for them was like potentially, you know, if they get expelled. Right. It's going to ruin their life. Right. Right. right, right. And so they're, I'm not saying they weren't dickheads. They were just right. not stupid. <laughs> like, right, 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 right. Not as prone to. Uh, violence as, as in the past where, yeah, yeah they're, like, there, no, there were no biffs in my right, school. Right, 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 right. 
There were a lot of Tim Tebow's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, because of the incentive to make a shit ton of money in the yeah. pros. That, which yeah. is good. That's good to, to incentivize people who are the most, have the most potential to, to just shit on the social experience of most of the people there. <laughs> incentivize them towards better things so that they never go with their worst impulses. Yeah, I had a lot of friends on the football team because all, yeah, all the I had a few. Were, I had a few. They, they were all they were all pot smokers. Yeah, that was one of the cool <laughs> things. Actually, that was one of the things because I hated a lot of people on the football team, but I also had a few friends that were on it, and mm-hmm. they were because you know I went to not a school where they were going to be uh, pros, and they were yeah. and they and they had many reasons to be dickheads. Um, but a few of my fr- friends were there, and they, yeah, it, they. But one of the things that happened sometime, you know, over the course of your ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, somewhere in between 10th or 11th grade, some one of the, again, one of the smarter, cooler people on the football team was like, if I get these people to smoke pot, they'll be a lot cooler. And, <laughs> and so they slowly introduced it. And like some of the most jerkish fuck asshole dudes started smoking pot and they were way cooler, <laughs> way less. I suddenly found myself in this situation as like this small like guy who was very open to just telling people what I thought, like you really won't hit me right now because my friends are all with me. Right. It's a, it's a really tribal fucked up way to look at the world. But like, you know, I was night, you know, 18, 17. Yeah. That's how, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, yeah, go ahead and hit me. See what happens. Like, this is not going to turn out well for you. Um, which is bad. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't look at that time fondly, but no, but it's, it's one of those things Well, that's part of growing up or whatever. Is is uh, experience? You know, I only found out about that. You know, like after the fact, I was thinking about, oh yeah, when when the one dude like later, I think it must have been like first year of college or something. I and he was telling me, yeah, yeah, they, these guys, these guys are all smoking pot now. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, a couple of us started getting them into it a couple of years ago. <laughs> and I was like, that's so fucking cool. Like, you mean that? You know, and it just makes it made people much more chill. Um, mm-hmm. And they, some of them had been, yeah, prone to the the horrible, you know, whatever, uh, aggressive impulses, but that's, that's just, uh, yeah. So there's, there's yeah. point is there's better ways to handle those things. And yeah, marijuana is one of those ways. <laughs> so you had, uh, you at one point had the, the Chris heist podcast, right? Or something just, a, I didn't even call it anything. It was just like, uh, yeah, somebody actually, somebody pressured me into doing it. I didn't want to do it. And somebody was like, you have, you have to do it. And it was years and years ago. Uh, and so I did 10 episodes of them and I didn't, it was just me interviewing other comics that I, I knew a little bit around town in LA and I, uh, yeah. And, but it wasn't like, you know, I've thought about re trying to do a podcast recently where it's, where it's just me or something and I would just talk about shit, but I have to get the format right before I think it's good enough. I tried to, yeah. something that I never released about a year ago and it was just, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it is, but I don't want it to be. A podcast should just be something. You, know, you just turn it on, and there it is. You know, you just well, like, do it uh, and talk for an hour, and that's it, or whatever, you know. But Bill Burr's got a good method there where it's just him ranting, and that's and that's good because that's what he's good at. And, yeah, yeah, only yeah, he can yeah. do that. And But, you know, there's some other, you know, other people. There's only a few podcasts that, you know, like comic comedian ones that are, like, really funny. Uh, and I don't want to be that kind of podcast. I'm not that, yeah. like. It mine would be more just like it would just be a fucking live stream. But really, all a podcast, a podcast sadly is a means for for comics. A podcast is a means for an audience 
to um right. you know that you have a lock because a stand-up yeah exactly a stand-up special happens every year or six years and like you know it you can't keep your fans engaged you know they used to do it with an email list or something and but you know hey i'm coming to your town kind of thing which i, I still think is <laughs> i should have which i don't have any you but, technically do if you go on your website you do have the contact thing but you're so fucking cerebral about it. you're like uh just email me the state where you're yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly it's, it's way it's way too uh yeah convoluted yeah um but but yeah and and the, and mainly for the past 10 years people abandoned that model to use just twitter and instagram that everybody who's a follower of theirs on Twitter and Instagram, you just post what your show was and people who were in that area would go to it or whatever. So it became like a substitute for that. Um, but I don't really do anything on Twitter or Instagram either. I have a, I have an Instagram that I just will post the, the newest standup album cover when mm-hmm. I come out with one uh, every once in a while. But yeah, the podcast really for whatever, for fans of anything, common like uh frequent engagement as they say in the social media world what is it important to keep uh, the stickiness or whatever it's a marketing douche sort of thing or whatever uh but yeah i like i i suck at the business side of this stuff so i have i have 11 stand-up albums out that are all free can be downloaded for free or listened to on my youtube page but they're all yeah i've never i never i, I never tried to sell anything never tried to get any uh whatever uh yeah, I never did any of the business side. I never had a manager, none of that stuff. So I don't know what the fuck. And because I'm ethically, I ethically object to some of that stuff. So it's like <laughs> it's hard for me to even promote my it's own shows. Self sabotage. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In a sense, but it's like also sort of holding to this stupid, uh, like ethical something. It's just a. It's like an impulse or a feeling. I don't really have a. I don't really object to telling people about a show you're doing. You know, I, I don't have to do it in, a, in an ironic way. I can just I could just be like, yeah, hey, if you like what I do, I'll be here. And if 20 of you showed up, that'd be really cool. You know, and then it's that kind of thing. It's it's just a yeah, it's it's a the business yeah. side of anything is just something that I've been so repelled by uh that even my own stand up is just yeah, not so yeah, but it, it should be um yeah, I forget what your original uh, comment or whatever it was. <laughs> I was just going to ask you about what, what your experience doing the podcast was, but it didn't. Yeah, it wasn't that like, again, it was something like I was, I was trying, I was only doing it because another comic literally told me you better do this or I'm going to fuck with you like hard. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and then, and then eventually, you know, I did a few of them and I was like, this is not, this is not, if I ever wanted to do this sort of thing, this is not the way I want to do. First of all, all my favorite comedians and what I consider to be the best comedians Never had a podcast. Don't need a podcast. I love Bill Burr. I love Rogan. I think they're amazing comics. Stan Hope has a fucking podcast. He's obviously one of the best of all time. Right. But but they're the three exceptions. Now Dave Chappelle has a podcast, but he didn't for a long time. You know, it's it's really... I'd say it's not something you should do because it's a trend. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. But I think they're all doing it now for the reason that, you know, it, it builds an audience. Stan Hope is a very obscure comedian and I don't know the numbers of what his audience was before and after six or seven years ago when he started his podcast, but it definitely, like you said before, it helps keep people engaged and connected to the, uh, whatever artist, whatever it is, yeah. musician, a comedian, whatever, then they can easily have people come out to shows or buy the new thing that they fucking put out or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a glorified e- email list. It's still this, it serves the same function, but with, um, 
more uh, bells and whistles. Uh, but it keeps, I think, you know. I think Stanhope is an interesting case because like what we were talking about earlier with like different comedians that sort of subvert their way into the business and then change or whatever, he's done exactly what he does the entire time. I've listened yeah. to everything that man's ever put out. Oh, yeah, was, yeah. Yeah. When I was a teenager, I was like, this guy is speaking the God's honest truth. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's really how I felt. And I've been to Bisbee many, many, many times since I moved to Arizona. I've never bumped into him. I would love to one day. You know, yeah. Here he goes to Tucson occasionally to do uh, sets too. But yeah, it's, yeah. he's, he's a great comic, but yeah. And he, even though he has always done what he does early on, he did do club type comedy to a sufficient extent to be able to be booked by them. Yeah. Like he did, you know, he did a lot of, and he would make fun of it kind of like while he was doing it or whatever, but he would, he would still, you know, which I guess Hicks used to do sort of too, you know, if, if some, if a certain bit wasn't working, they'd be like, Oh, I'm going to do stupid shit. Cause that what you, that's what you like then, you know, or whatever. I mean, I'm never going to try to talk you out of doing, you know, of your ethics or you know, who you are, but I, I do find it like, difficult to understand why you wouldn't um, play the game so that you can, because your mission ultimately is to get your message out, like get to the point where you can, you know, and if that takes a little bit of like sucking it up, I guess it takes, but I don't know that that's my, I just do what I do and like, and I put it out independently. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I do have bits that occasionally rag on what it is that I do or whatever, and which (laughs) goes over better or, you know, I'll start talking about fucking, you know, not, not airline food, but that type of thing or whatever. And some of my earlier albums had an occasional bit that was like kind of that sort of uh, thing to interrupt the other, you know, in a similar vein, I guess of, Oh, you, you don't like this here. Here's what you like kind of thing, but not never to any uh, quantity where I would get booked by a fucking uh, club, you know, a major club or whatever. They would just, right. Cause I would upset the audience. Um, too, too much of every audience, especially if it was, you know, in Los Angeles, there's tons, you know, the major clubs are all tourist havens. You, you have to be palatable to people from Kentucky and Alabama and Florida and New York and California all in one. You know, you have to be mainstream, like uh, your the beam of focus has to be narrow enough that it that it does not upset any one particular group or, you know, just talks about inane shit. So I get it, and, and I get why you know people would say that sort of thing. But I, but I always like just doing what I do, and if people eventually find it, that, that's cool. And if they don't, that, I mean, that's what I've been already doing for many, many yeah. years. You know, I've got eleven. They're all DIY as fuck. Some of them are EPs or whatever, but eleven stand-up albums, and and it's just like it's most people. Won't, it's not the kind of stuff they would like, but some people like it, and that's okay. And uh, yeah. eventually, if I could get the fucking the the logistics and the business side of things more importantly would just be to figure out how to route a fucking tour through, through places where I can't really get booked. So I got, <laughs> I got to just, I kind of just figure out a, a place, you know, somebody's house or somebody's uh, fucking dive bar or whatever, where I can just do a bunch of shows, but to configure them all, you know, it's a, yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing where, you know, even, yeah, whatever, charging a $5 ticket price at a bar. I don't know. Uh, I'm just so terrible with the fucking business side of shit that, uh, but I'm okay with that. You know, if I, again, I've put out so much stand up material already that of course, almost no one has ever listened to, but that's okay. <laughs> it's just, uh, and I'm, and I'm working on a new one now. Um, and it's, and I'm trying to edit that together, 
and and just uh, yeah, it's just it's just part of the the whatever. Uh, usually, especially you know, comics that are of that ilk or whatever would would have some manager who didn't care about making a lot of money, but could make a little bit of money booking shows around the country or whatever for them, and they could go on tour for half the year and then chill and write the other half of the year, you know. Um, but uh, but I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's again, it's not my process has just been to just keep writing and keep making new stuff and, and releasing yeah. a lot of new stand up. you know, every couple months or something, I put on another EP or, or album and, uh, and just, uh, yeah, you know, but yeah, to, to be able to like, that's why I never wanted to, um, like you were saying, like get to the point where I was, you know, play the game a little bit is because I have so much material that I want to work on that, that I think is important to me or whatever, or what I think or whatever that I, that I just concentrate on that. Like to, to concentrate on the other stuff is just distracting from, from what I'm trying to, you know, more so than the ethical objection or any ethical, ethical objection would have to, to, you know, doing dick jokes or whatever, which I occasionally have versions of that uh, mixed in with philosophical shit. It's, it would, it distracts from the time that I could, spend doing you know the shit that i really want to do like this most recent album that i'm trying to put together is a just a fucked up thing that's all about this one idea and and yeah i'm trying to just fucking get it organized right and and yeah edit it together like all the other albums and you know maybe eventually somebody will want to do a, a video or whatever um i could ask a couple of people i know in la that that might do it or whatever but then Shit. they, they, then they know, charge money Chris, too and stuff. And you know, the crazy guy, Chris, who hangs out at the open mics, he's like doing fucking Shakespeare and shit on, on stage. That guy. I don't think, I don't think so. I've only, so, I, I'm not on live in Tucson. So I've only been to a couple okay. of mics there. So he, okay. He's a, he's an actor really. And he, uh, he's voice acting in a game that I'm producing, which is like why, you know, we're friends. And I actually went to the show that I met you at because of him. Oh, hell right? yeah. But he is a pretty competent filmmaker like like i'm pretty sure he could shoot a special if he had to even if it were like like super gorilla style like he could do it and i'm okay. sure he would appreciate the opportunity yeah i love super gorilla style and yeah as long as the camera works and it can pick up audio well enough that it's not indiscernible yeah yeah i'm pretty sure that could be arranged i mean yeah. i'm not like trying to make a deal for him live on the right, show. Right, right. well yeah definitely something, sure. something to talk about after. i appreciate it thank you yeah um yeah, do that kind of stuff. Like the, the, because currently, what you have out, which I, I like all your albums that I've listened to. I listened to Argument or Disaster and uh, Advances in Self Government and a lot of your like kind of just videos. That, you know, like you, you hell yeah, hell yeah, solo shit. Thanks, man. But you know, it's all like your cell phone or whatever sitting on the side of the stage capturing you from a strange angle or whatever. But right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Or, or the, audio, the, 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 the H4N or whatever thing for audio. Oh, yeah. yeah, you do have a Zoom h 4 I have literally one right here. I, I noticed that when you stepped on stage, you sat down a Zoom. Yeah. And I was like, I have the exact same recorder this guy. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. Cause, and that's because somebody told me, because I had been using a GoPro, and the, some uh, somebody who's a, a good comic, who's a filmmaker also in, in Los Angeles, was like, you, he's a, you know, he listened to one of my albums just off the, just out of nowhere, because almost nobody actually does. But yeah, I'm, glad, I'm thank you for doing that. But like this one dude, he, he just, I didn't tell him to, he was just like, Hey, I listened to your album the other day and I liked it, but the audio quality needs to be better. He's yeah. like, and I was like, yeah, I'm just been using a GoPro. He's like, yeah, you should use uh get, get, get the fucking uh, H4N. <laughs> I, like, I bought the H4N when I first got into podcasting, when I was like 19 years old, 
Um, Hell yeah, yeah. Not to, not to do an advertisement for them or anything, but like no, fuck, fuck, but just, have, suck. Um, but just <laughs> have good, have good audio. So yeah, if this guy can do uh, video and audio that sounds and looks okay, and is down to do some experimental crazy shit with a comic that's trying to record some crazy shit, and yeah, we can find a fucking dive bar in Tucson that'll let us do that. <laughs> Which I, I know of a couple places that might. Um, yeah. That would be pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, yeah, we can talk about that af- afterwards. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's that kind of um, uh, you know the the whatever the the logistics of of making certain things happen. The only reason I can so easily put out the albums that I do is I figured out a long time ago just how to just you know DIY as fuck record yeah. almost everything I do and then you know put it together just because I, I have no other options. Because yeah, they, most places like I said. Probably a third, if not a quarter, of all the venues I've ever performed at would not let me perform there after a certain point. And 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 not to say that you know uh, half of the the rest of them probably didn't like what I was doing, but they tolerated it um, only because of who was running the show, who was tolerant of it, because they were a comic who appreciated fucked up comedy. So they were, you know, there have been a couple of people who stood up for uh, everyone's freedom to 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 experiment on stage. Um, you know, through the years, not just me, but the, the people who, who defended everyone's freedom um, to do that because they realize that's part of where interesting shit can come from. You, that it, a lot of, if you suppress, even mentally, you know, get people to self-censor and stuff like that, it, it ruins the fucking comedy. Uh, you know, even the people who, yeah, you know, some people are going to be bad at an open mic anyway because there's a lot of new people and a lot of experienced people trying out new shit. But but if you suppress their freedom, they're going to be even worse. Even though it may seem better to to you know the slower people in the audience, they might be the more you know up whatever the high society types or whatever people who want things to be clean and and um and totally not subversive at all. They, they might enjoy it more, but it it's really not nearly as good. You know, so even I think it's the, all about marketing, man. I mean, literally. There's 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 some of that, but uh, but yeah, you like you, on the album. I had the other thing about like you know people allowing allowing uh, horrible shit to go on on stage, that they have to be that we need people to to uh, yeah tell businesses. Right. <laughs> I think that was on yeah. argument of disaster, but it was yeah to 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 we need to incentivize businesses to do that to allow that instead of the opposite because right now almost every business almost every bar and especially comedy clubs but almost every bar too has a strong incentive to uh disallow the freedom to, to experiment on stage because of their fear that they will lose customers so we have I to think reverse that it they literally just have to change their marketing like it's it's a very simple trick that anyone can do is just like hey tonight you want to see the fucking craziest shit you ever seen in your life Right, 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 right. Yeah, the no, no, no complainers night or whatever. Yeah, you know, because there's a reason why bars in Mexico can have like you know, like yeah, donkey sex, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like, and as long as you advertise it, that's what you're doing. Those people will show up. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Yeah, and and Mexico's a pretty Catholic country, but there's not people protesting out front of the donkey fucking night. So I mean, (laughs) they 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 get away with it. That's cool. That's actually yeah. So yeah, that's true. But but yeah, then the, but that's the problem is apparently a lot of bar owners don't think there's any business in it. They don't think it's good for them uh, oh, economically. So much business that don't I, fucking do. Well, no, but I, I mean just in 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 <laughs> fucked up stand up. But yeah, there's so yeah. definitely donkey fucking. But that's <laughs> illegal here. 
but they, but fucked up crazy shit stand up shouldn't be illegal and and should be i'm just saying that there's a, apparently from what i've seen and experienced just seeing the different scenes around this country there's a strong incentive for businesses to uh to sometimes tout themselves as having a oh this is our offensive comedy show but it's totally not when it is when it's booked like that. Oh, yeah. That's another problem with it. If you book they, it they, they, like, they right at the movie theater, they said like we're having our dirty show, you know, soon or whatever. I'm yeah, like, okay. but there was no donkey fucking. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's difficult to do, to do. You know, uh, that's that's the problem too is of advertising it as that is it tends to not be that when it's advertised as that yeah. instead of just like how, how about advertising of freedom? Like it's just freedom. You can just say whatever, anything. It might be the tamest shit in the world. It's not going to be all offensive shit, but all the worst offensive shit could be there, but it also could be the tamest shit in the world. It's Jeff Dunham and Ray Romano and Stan Hope and the corpse of Lenny Bruce, whatever it's fucking everything, you know, just uh, you can do whatever that you could do. You could do shopping mall bullshit. And you could do, you know, corpse fucking jokes, whatever. <laughs> it's it's just a uh, yeah, but but that, so and, and that might that might avoid the um, tendency for those shows that are marketed as being offensive or subversive or obscene, when, coming off as really tame by not you just need to say it and mean it like one or two times, and then people will get the message. And right, or just or just kind of known, you know, and yeah. The, like word of mouth advertise it don't like put it on a sign anywhere but like hey we're gonna do this crazy shit here every week the owner's cool with it but that's the thing that's still the hardest thing i think is getting the owner to be cool with it because anytime that sort of shit happens there's always a group of douches that will fucking call in or walk in and go like no uh-uh uh-uh if you do this blah 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 we're gonna fucking you're you're gonna lose business and so it's like uh an argument to me, you and I both kind of came from like a kind of a punk rock heavy metal background where it's like, you know, club owners knew if you invited people to a heavy metal show that there was going to be a mosh pit and people were probably going to get hurt. And they were just like, they were like, yeah, willing to do business. Yeah. And, and one of my, they're also going to buy drinks. Like one of my claims to fame, which is not a claim to fame, but is that of one of the venues I was banned from performing at. And it's only because somebody else bought it and was running it. But one of the venues that I was banned from is a venue that Anal Cunt played at. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, they could play there, but I was banned from All right. And that's just, and again, that was only because the previous owner was cooler than the subsequent owner. But it's, it was still this dude who bought the place was supposedly punk rock. He was supposedly a, a comic too. But he was like, yeah, he was one of the, there's been a few through the years, but he was the first person to be like, Look, man, it's nothing personal. Your material's just bad for business. I would literally like start doing comedy shows in people's backyards if that were the case. Like, I would go full on like black flag with it. You know, yeah, I should. Just, yeah. If uh, I don't know of anybody doing that anymore, <laughs> I assume they are. But like, yeah, I would, I, I would much sooner show up to a backyard comedy show. Exactly. Have to go fucking downtown too. In Los Angeles, I guess they do it, but they never booked me on this. Those were more like trying to be famous. They were trying to, you know, there were oh, there were uh, agents in the crowd, kind of thing. You know, they were yeah. they were trying to get on TV shows and shit like that. So the Los Angeles backyard shows were really like, you know, fashion show type, upscale events. Um, but uh, I did do a couple in Florida. Uh, over the years um, that were, you know, just cool inside, outside, whatever. Um, and yeah, but they, but it wasn't as, or at least I'm not, uh, I'm not connected in the network of even the comics that do that sort of shit. I know a couple <laughs> of the 
whatever um, a more underground uh, comics that you know would do would be in a certain class. They don't do the same type of stuff that I do, but it's you know we could be on the same show and it would be like people. Be like, I get why they're on the same show. Yeah, that kind of you know. So, but but yeah, but I'm but I also live like twelve hundred miles from them, so it's like it's not easy to configure a house show with that logistically. But yeah, it's it's something that um yeah should should definitely happen more frequently. But but I also like that it you know there's something to be said for yeah the greatness of uh, underground shows and stuff like that. Uh, but I also feel like always always pushing into the mall so to speak. Always pushing into like with into the business into the into the bar. I don't want it to just I don't want Black Flag to just be uh, in, in a fucking uh, basement. I, I don't want you know I don't want the the, the you know, comics like fucking Mortzall and Dick Gregory to only be heard of by these bohemians in fucking San Francisco. You know, I, I want them to be on fucking Monday Night Football, you know, doing a bit during a halftime show, you know, subversive as fuck bit, not like some bullshit. Like I want, I, I always felt the need to, you know, cause I, I, you know, coming up doing stand up or whatever, and you know, was doing shows around Florida, and there was there were plenty of places where it was coffee shops filled with anarchists or whatever, and they were like, yeah, you know. But I'm not a rah rah to the crowd kind of guy. I don't I, I don't need to fucking tell these people this shit. They know, they know it already. I, you know, it's 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 to, so I would be like talking to you know, I would always go other places, like, and I was happy when somebody would book me. It was very rare, but there was this one dude who was also in the military. He was very um cool still loved freedom like actual freedom wasn't uh authoritarian he and one time he he ran a show in the outside of tampa somewhere and he booked me at this fucking bowling alley in this conference room of a bowling alley was a very like mainstream show and more than that he was uh whatever military guy he had many audience members who would come who were, who were old uh brass like old you know higher level lieutenants yeah. fucking colonels whatever uh, who were now older or whatever so so he booked me this show and there's like this back room conference room at this place the darkest night and there's uh, mm-hmm. it's filled with you know there's there's about 10 or 15 comics that are younger in the back that know me and then there's like a couple of younger people in the audience but almost all 50s 60s 70s military brass <laughs> he booked me because he knew what i did so he he was like, I want them to see you. Yes. And and he was like, because he's like, I don't even agree with, you know, half the shit you say, but I want them to know. I want them to know that this is okay. And uh, and he was like, because, you know, whatever. He just believed in freedom. And he was cool about that. Shit. And yeah, and I was like, all right. So I did the show and, and yeah, they fucking hated it like a lot. You know, and because this is like a, a mostly elderly audience of, and I'm just criticizing America the whole fucking time, and and they're like, you know, and the comics in the back are fucking laughing their asses off, and the you know the younger people to some extent too, but they're just they're just loving the fact that this is happening, and like, and so afterwards the dude gets up on stage because he's the host of the show or whatever, and he says, I just uh. I forget how he phrased it, but he, was, he basically said something to the effect of, you know, yeah, that was criticized, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he, um, he's, uh, he's, he's usually banned from performing at places and they applaud it. 
<laughs> and they applauded. And he stopped him. He was like, no, no, that's not, that's why I wanted him to do this here is because this is America and we should be open to hearing all sorts of crazy shit. Even if it's shit that we disagree with, we have to be open to hearing this criticism of this, whatever. It's, it's part of things. We're not an authoritarian state like Saudi Arabia or North Korea or whatever. We, we can take it. We can handle it. We can, we can talk about these things. We can hear about these things. You know, but it was funny because he had to stop them from cheering that I was usually banned at places like and allowed like that was the biggest, you know, and I, I got to find that because yeah. I still had that on tape somewhere. Um, my, uh, my brother-in-law, this was back in like 2014, 2015, something like that. He was a, he was a guardsman and he army guard and he had gone to like, he had enlisted in the guard like August of 2000 one and so he's in boot camp when 9-11 happens and then they tell him everyone here is going to iraq basically which they told him that before they told him that before 2003 oh yeah 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 (laughs) yeah you're just so y'all know we're all going to iraq kind of thing and what, what was so great about it was that uh you know up until that point if you if we know our our american history of the last 20 or so years like that Guard people in the National Guard n- did not expect to fight in foreign wars ever, right? Like, that right. was like not a thing. Yeah, but, well, the perks of the guard that was when they knew, like, this is changing very rapidly. So, he ends up in 2003 in Iraq and does the whole thing. And later, I uh, I ended up in the Presidio of Monterey, which is a, the linguist school for all military members. And I was talking to one of my teachers, whose name was Haider, who's an Iraqi guy, because I was learning Arabic. And he is telling me his story of like how, you know, he basically was, you know, caught in the shit and he joined the American forces as a translator and all that kind of thing. And, and he was like, I was, you know, grouped up with a bunch of, you know, military police to go around and basically be the guy who's like talk to sheiks and shit to say like, Hey, we're not the enemy. We're here to help that kind of thing. And I realized like at some point that the two of them knew each other because they like literally served at the same exact time in the same exact kind of unit. And I talked to both of them. I'm like, Oh my God, you guys are friends. But the the point I'm trying to make here is that uh, later when I'm sitting down with my brother-in-law, I'm like, so what was that whole thing like? And we're, this is, like I said, that, that time period, 20, 2015 ish, when the the super uh, aggressive left PC, like you must conform to our way of speech kind of thing happened. And I was asking him how he felt about that. And he said, you know what? Like I literally fought for those people's freedom to disagree with my beliefs. And I'm okay with that. Like I want them to be able to express what they say, even though it's not where I come from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's and that, yeah, I thought that was beautiful, but it, it sucks that you're in front of this group of people who like, because I think that honestly, a lot of ex-military guys would definitely, that people who I know would vibe with what you're saying hundred um, percent. Not, not to the extreme of like saying like, you know, fuck them all or they're all idiots, but right, you know, right, right. Like they, where they, they got, you know, you usually you join when you're like a kid exactly. and then by the, you get out when you're an adult and you understand things a lot more and you've seen it yourself. Right, that's why they that's why they pick people up when they're kids and in, in our ROTC or junior ROTC or whatever. Eighteen yeah. is the sign up official, 
you know, if 25 was the official sign-up age that you had to wait until, less people would sign up. <laughs> That's 100% true. To the to most people. there You can join up to your, like, 32 or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you couldn't join up until you were 25, because that's when the uh, amygdala forms fully in a human being when they can make uh, life and death decision-making much more credibly. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the whole – it's an increasing argument that 25 is the actual age – for a lot of things, they're based on just that's when we can make risk assessment competently. Apparently, yeah. I don't know. That's you know, but yeah, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, um, yeah, some people, some people who, who uh, yeah, are very freedom loving, whatever the words are for for that, uh, you know, even even in the military, or whatever, and and yeah, some of them got in over their head when they were you know 18, and they they didn't know the the game. And then they, by the time they know the game, they're stuck in it, and then they later get out, and they're like, "Yeah, that was fucked up, whatever." <laughs> uh, and yeah, so it's it's all. They, they also those same people also appreciate the skills that they learn because that's exactly what makes them a prime candidate for being independent and running their own business and running. Oh, that's true. They, they definitely they learn a lot of stuff. You definitely learn like a lot of um, self reliance type things. Uh, being in, it's a, it's unfortunate that we don't have a way. To, to inculcate self-reliance without also having to kill people in the process. <laughs> it's like, why do those, maybe that's why those go together so much with the uh, Unabomber cabin kind of guy is, 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 is <laughs> just self, is, Hey, murder comes with self-reliance. It's just part of it. It's just, um, <laughs> I mean, you, you, what, if you're going to be totally independent, you have to be prepared to defend yourself. That's uh, true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. That is that is true. And uh, and yeah. And I mean, you know, the isolation. But I was just making a joke or whatever. But it's it's definitely it's one of those things where, yeah, the 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 way of the world is such that yeah, every every country still has this uh, giant bureaucratic military establishment to whatever degree. You know, even fucking Finland has a military, and they have to. Yeah, they're yeah, like, they're conscripted into their military. They're, right, they're right. Yeah, use, many right? are still. There's still, yeah, there's still a draft in in most countries. It's 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 crazy, um, but yeah. My point is that even even countries where you would think like you know, even fucking Monaco probably has a military. The the Finnish, to, when I talk to you, and I've actually coincidentally had a lot of Finnish people on the show because they're intrinsically involved in uh, quake, which is one of my favorite videos. Awesome. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. But they, uh, I think, I think that most of them feel a responsibility because of their proximity to Russia. And like, they, they still, you know, remember what happened in world war two. Right. They, so they like, still have a, you know, there's huge, whatever they, they rely on NATO or whatever for, yeah. uh, the whole, the whole thing is, a yeah. So Finland's a, uh, an obscure, probably not the best example of a country. Monaco is better as a principality or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Of, but that, but then again, that's just full of giant rich people. So they totally would need a military to protect all their fucking money there. Um, so yeah, it's just yeah, basically rich people in every country need a military to protect their money, huh. and to try to take it from other countries, and they have to protect it from the other countries trying to take it from them. It's just like basically. Yeah, it's 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 a fucked up world, but you know it might improve, but it might not. Now, my argument in my recent material is that it's you know like it may have an upward trajectory, and like uh, 
Sometimes markets do over the long run, but in the short run, sometimes there's a sell-off. <laughs> so uh, this is the last real thing I wanted to touch into, and then I'll let you get along with your day, and we'll do this again sometime later. Hell yeah, thanks, man. What do you think of, and I know that you're kind of an example of this, but the way that our art conveys these issues of you know the, an overarching uh, governmental maybe conspiracy or just like trend. I, I, usually I would argue that what we call conspiracies are really trends that happen organically and don't happen because there's one guy with a cigar, you know, in right. a smoky room somewhere, like the Bill Hicks joke. Like, right. you know, it's, not, it's not this directed. Right. The Carlin actually had a great point. I think on Mars show in like 2005 or something, Carlin said mm -hmm. it's a convergence of interests. Yes. It's not, yes. it's much less to, uh, often a conspiracy much more often a convergence of interest that, that the people don't even realize. They're just, everybody's going for their same self-interest and all these interests happen to converge in the same direction. And so when you have all these powerful people moving in the same direction, it looks like it's coordinated, but it's just them all going towards swimming towards the food or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, I can point to a million examples in, in film and in, in comedy and games and TV shows, whatever, like I, speaking strictly game wise, like a Deus Ex, uh, Half-Life, even Doom to a certain extent, like these Wolfen stories. <laughs> Wolfenstein is a great example as well. Yeah. And, uh, and coincidentally, yeah. Doom and Wolfenstein made by the same people. Yeah. And, and that was one of the first ones I remember right before, like, cause I was telling you, I have a, a lot of friends back in the day who played Doom, Doom and, and yeah. Doom Doom and, and fucking, but they also had, Wolfenstein was a fucking, uh, had, uh, one of the, my favorite weapons of any one of the games, the first person shooter game was that God mode. We called it. I don't <laughs> yeah. know why, but you remember where you would just hold up like your left hand a little bit in front of you. And there was like this glowing ball and it would, it would go like, Oh, Oh, or something like that. And people would just be killed all around you when you did that. There was some, uh, that later became the, the BFG or the big fucking gun in doom. But yeah. Okay. Okay. So, you know, the, the feature I'm talking about. Or yes, yes. Okay. Um, so all of these, all of our art work tells the same story you're telling, right? Like this, like the government is not serving its people to, at least in these, you know, we'll, we'll use the analogy, like in these fantasy worlds that are allegedly art is reflective of society and all that kind of thing. We keep telling the story and no one seems to be getting the fucking message. And I'm curious, like, does that resonate with you? Does that have any, like, did that, you know, maybe your experiences with those, uh, with that art stuff, did that have any, an impact on your thought process and what can it like the fact that the art never led to any productive outcome? <laughs> yes. Right. There's, that's a perception, but I would disagree to a certain extent in that. I would say that the, um, but I, I would say that I would agree also, I would say it kind of goes back to like something close to what I was saying originally when we started talking, it was like, um, the, the, the way that reality works, we're often constrained. There's limitations, both spatially and temporally. And we have to deal with the situations that we have with what we have at the time, but then we have to constantly update that thing. So similarly, um, art, you know, is not able to ever seal the deal. Hey, we fixed this entirely. But by constantly poking at the authority and constantly poking at the people, it progressively inches towards better outcomes. Um, 
you know, when done well. And when it's not done at all, or when it's not done well as a society, it the society tends to degrade. But you know, there's not a lot of good stand-up comedy in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Not, not a lot of good video games, I would think, or movies or, or shows or anything. It's all just the regime is awesome. The regime is awesome. That's the whole programming. So same with North Korea. You're not you're not getting like, oh, this, you should see the subversive comic in North Korea. It, it just doesn't exist. So like the the more free a society is, despite it seeming ineffectual, that it seems like it's not having any effect, I could argue that it's having a subtle effect that if it wasn't there, the society would slide down even further. Um, yeah. So that, it, that it's important, at least as a bulwark or whatever the fuck, a blockade of some sort, some sort of fucking thing in the way some some obstacle in the way of authoritarian institutions, whether they be government or corporations or religions, whatever. It's it's this thing that, you know, again, to the degree that it's done well, is the degree to which it prevents abuse of power in a society. Uh, so it's not that it's pointless. It's that we should constantly be pushing for uh, the quality what i would consider the quality of you know like the the freedom of it to allow the quality to emerge from that freedom uh you know and and to to constantly be uh yeah allowing people to build better and better stuff uh and crazier and crazier shit and yeah have have the uh consumers or whatever you know the listeners be able to appreciate and understand more and more complicated shit more and more complex you know the complexity of things is it's going to increase in a variety of uh, things. It's it's in this world, so we have to really um, expand our ability to uh, cope with and manage those uh, things. And and yeah, whether it's stand up or music or books or fucking painting, whatever the fuck, you know, art or whatever is whatever is considered artistic or whatever that that plays that role. Uh, you know, pushing, trying to change things and it slowly, it could change things faster. And I would argue that it should, like, I'm not saying it's doing a great job, but it's, it's keeping pace so that free societies are not totally sliding into oblivion, but it's not, you know, so instead of, is it working or is it not working? It's working to a certain degree and could be working a lot better if we got more aware of the fountain of its, uh, you know, uh, really uh, good emergent properties that, that can happen if we actually supply, you know, the freedom in our society, culturally, in these institutions, not just in underground house shows, although they're great. If it ain't happening in random bars, if it ain't happening in upscale bars, if it isn't happening in comedy clubs, it's, it's being suppressed and, and your society at that level is being a little North Korea-ish. So it's, you know, yeah, to the degree that we can push the boundary of, you know, similarly to how, yeah, to how GTA is fucking mainstream video game. Stanhope should be mainstream American standup, but he's far from it, but he should be, but it's just the, it's the only thing holding him back is that the outlets are not, putting him there you know he's he had one special on netflix years and years ago but 
most of his shit. We actually had a few, but most of them get taken down. Oh, okay. I just know that the 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 one was up there. Your hall push was up. Yeah. It, and I think it's still up. But yeah, was, yeah. There was a few of like a, where he was. But they but they took the rest down. Oslo. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that well, one was great. Oh yeah, they're all great. They should all be yeah. up there. But that's and maybe that's Netflix's stupid thing where it it only pays for rights for certain periods of time and then it so yeah. so it loses most of the movies that it ever has instead of keeping them there forever, which is what every streaming service should strive to do. I don't know why they would ever cut things from their thing, but yeah, but maybe it's, but also it's just, it's just not, it's just not readily available. I mean, it is on YouTube and it is, you know, but there are things like, you know, my point is that really fucked up standup should be uh, mainstream and certain people are trying to push that back into the mainstream, you know? Um, but you know, there's a limit, there's always a limit. And I, what I'm saying is we need to push the limits way, way further as far as we possibly can. Um, because yeah, the world needs to be criticized. And one of the main ways that it's effectively criticized is through standup. Of course, again, 99% of standup comics do not do that at all, but in order apparently for the 1% who do or whatever, it takes, you know, the 99% of the, the, the mainstream comics talking about shoelaces and, and fucking microwaves or whatever that that's, that's still, I guess, an economic viability sort of thing. They need to be there to provide uh, the ticket sales so that occasionally a crazy fucker can come through and do yeah. stand up. You know, if, if Ray Romano isn't at, at the improv, you know, if there's not one of him every week or whatever, then maybe there can't be a different, you know, more fucked up. Uh, I mean, the, the fucked up comics I like wouldn't even, yeah. They, to some of the best in the world, but they're from other countries. They would never be booked here. <laughs> it's just fucked up. But yeah, so they, they, yeah, I would, we could do, we could do a lot better, you know, just a hell of a tangent there, but it, it's, it's generally, yeah, art could, it is having some effect to the degree that it's allowed to. And if it wasn't there, the society would, would degrade, deteriorate ever faster. So while so I would argue, you know, it's not a yes or no thing. It's not a hap- it's having an effect or it's not. It's just, we have to, we have to as greatly as we can magnify uh, the effect that it can have by giving it the freedom to come up with the crazy shit that might make the arguments that no one else is making that, you know, finds a solution to something or yeah. just makes people laugh, whatever. I agree. It's like a uh, same thing in the music business, right? Like, so, if not for Metallica, I may never have found Megadeth, you know, and for a, a more modern perspective would be like, you know, if not for someone like Avenged Sevenfold, there's a lot of kids. Those are like gateway bands, if that right, makes sense. Right, like, exactly. It, 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 the, you know, Avenged Sevenfold, I don't think they ever did anything that's particularly interesting, but they're a heavy band who's very popular and they got people to listen to heavy music. And as a result of that, many of those kids ended up listening to bands who had far better and more <laughs> honest method. I, I'm not saying anything against them. I'm sure they're great people and all, but like, you know, that's a gateway into finding really important things that have an, a long lasting effect on your life. Right. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah, and so if not for, I mean, honestly, if I hadn't found, you know, Rogan and Stanhope and, and, and Carlin and stuff like that, you and I probably wouldn't be talking right now because that, that those are the things that got me interested in comedy. And right. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's that kind of thing. Yeah. The, and yeah, that happens. It's kind of like a, um, 
yeah, a stylistic bridge or whatever that occurs in like the music example is great. Yeah. People go from, yeah, some rock radio metal band or whatever to something that's more fucked up to something that's more fucked up to something that's good. Like to real to get the really awesome, they, they fucking, you know, the crazy, you know, I don't know, the locust or something, you know, fucking, I don't know, just weird shit. Fucking Meshuggah and Dillinger or, or fucking, you know, bridges to probably tons of other bands. I, uh, I saw Dillinger Escape Flan for my, I think I want to say my 19th birthday, my girlfriend and my friends, you know, we drove to New Orleans for that and they were fucking amazing, dude. Oh yeah. Like, what uh, it, just to, actually? I, I know I said I was going to close off, but like uh, music stuff, like what? What do you? What do you love? And, and I saw your Kill Tony set where they like kind of pressed you on this, and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, all that shit. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, I like the weirdest, heaviest, craziest shit. Um, so yeah, but it's also it's you know, there's also you know, I like some stuff. I love love for just the, the you know the the rhythmic whatever crazy polyrhythm they're doing with guitars and drums and some stuff I love for the fucking lyrical shit too, you know? Yeah. So there's, there's as far as like heavy bands, you know, it's fucking, I mean, Dillinger's definitely up there, but you know, I mean, back in the day, you know, I used to love like fucking, you know, Snapcase and quicksand and shit like that. You know, it's, it's like, but, uh, you know, helmet, fucking great, fucking. Band. Oh God, I love helmet. Yeah, like milk toast. On yeah, the, the crow soundtrack. Oh my, what? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, and their album before that out, before the album that that song was on, the album before it was just so amazing. Uh, I forget what the. I'm, in meantime, I think it was the name. It was the name of the first song. Yeah, really. I think in, it was the also meantime. the name. I think it was also the name of the album. And yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's fucking. It's a legendary hardcore band doing. Yeah, changing the game. Uh, the Refused is another one. The Refused is another band that is just amazing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I like weirder shit, you know, the Mr. Bungle, that, that type of shit. Fucking secret chiefs three is the basically, dude, what, you what are like one of three people now that I know who are like a fan of secret. <laughs> I literally recommended them to a friend, like not two days ago. I was like, you, you would like this. Uh, hell yeah. 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 Cause they're yeah. weird as fuck. Good shit. <laughs> And that, and that's oh, it. And, and and I've been playing in bands for many years. I'm even in a technically a band that's weird shit like that that was heavily influenced. Like I'm into it, but the guy who was in who was in that band with is is like the most obsessed person with every member of Bungle and Soul Secret Juicer. It's just so he yeah. So and and yeah, we did that shift for so many years. So yeah, yeah. We, you know, there's obscure bands even from them though. You know, fucking I don't think a Stratosphere is still around anymore. But like uh, they had Orange Tulip Conspiracy with some. Thing that they, but just weird fucking music that's really heavy at times, but also just really complicated and just like, why the fuck does this exist kind of thing? You know, it's so out there. Bring the conversation back to you again. And, and I hate to keep harping on this, but like Mr. Bungle, right? Uh, Patton, who is my favorite vocalist who's ever existed. Yep. Yeah. Like, does, you know, Faith No More, they're doing like <laughs> these Commodore covers, you know, like uh, Easy Like Sunday Morning. So that they can then turn around and do some wild shit like motherfucker, right? Know, like right. And that was a record and, label decision, I'm sure, or at least a, 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 a an offer. Hey, why don't you do a cover? That's something they told bands a long time ago. A lot yeah. of times they're like, "Hey, why don't you do a cover?" They've been telling bands that for from the beginning of music industry mm-hmm. because it gets you into a mainstream audience. It makes you palatable to mainstream, so then they'll listen to your other shit, kind of thing. Yeah. And, and then they turn around and just they do. Uh, that's what I respect about Faith No More in general is that they they would do that, 
only so that the rest of the album could be exactly what they wanted. And, right. and it's so it could open up. It's kind of like, yeah, it, it's kind of like the way you were asked before. If I go out there and, and do a fucking, you know, a joke about ice cream, then, <laughs> then suddenly everybody's okay. They can hear me shit on the fucking corporate America and everything else. Like maybe, but maybe not also, you know, it's all related. You know, I'm sure a number of people couldn't even tell the difference between the faith and more version of, uh, Sunday morning and the original, but if they could, and they were listening to the faith and more version and they were like, yeah, this is great. I'm, I'm pretty sure that if they listened to the, whatever gentle making enemies was like, happy birthday, fucker. They wouldn't be into that. You know, most people who liked easy, like Sunday morning would not be like, happy birthday, fucker. I love the happy we birthday. Fucker. A, so, you know. We live in a bit of a different era now because, you know, when I was a kid and I'm sure also for you, it's like you hear, you hear a song, you go buy the album because of that song. And then you, now you're invested in that album. Right. So you're like, you listen to it over and over again. And, and that most of the songs on the album are not the single that you heard on the radio, but they're so like, you just, you're, strongly and in, invested in incentivizing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. There's cognitive dissonance there too. Even the songs that suck, you're like, well, I bought this album, so they're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or you find the, the gems in there. They're like, wow, this really right, is. Exactly. exactly. This song's even better than the song I heard on the radio or whatever. Yeah. Right. And I mean, like the, that's true of every metal band I've ever really gotten into. You know, I, I heard, uh, I don't know. Season in the Abyss, and then you get on that album, and you're like, "Man, War Machine is really that—that's the song." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or War yeah. on War, war Ensemble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, War War Machine's a Kiss song, which I also like, but yeah, like that—that that doesn't really exist so much anymore, and it, it kind of makes me sad. But I do see that in the video game industry still, um, where you you put out a game that is like really palatable, and then people go and they buy your entire back catalog. Because they're like, oh, I like this guy, or I like this studio, or a video game company that do that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I probably yeah. back in the day, I I did that when I was a kid. Like King's Quest was a huge fucking game. Yeah, and I played ex- those. Yeah, and then I bought Space Quest, and I bought Leisure Suit Larry, and all those things. You know. To give a a recent example is like, um, New Blood is a, probably one of the biggest like indie studios making games that i think you know i like as far as like you know that kind of retro first person shooter sort of thing uh hearkening to like that doom and quake audience but you know when they turn around and they say like hey we're gonna make a horror game that's like a you know a 16-bit top-down thing like what what is a game that one of their making i know i'm kind of talking shit you don't care about but faith is one of their games okay and when they do that you know, they're introducing an entire audience who's joined onto their brand for a specific reason, which is that they like Doom and Quake and they wanted to play Dusk, which was their flagship game. But the people are so down with the brand. They're like, hey, I trust these people to make good shit. They just buy it because they're like, man, I'm sure it's good. And then they play it and they're like, yeah, yeah, I was right. These people are like trustworthy and awesome because they, they know what's good. Right. And, and so it's kind of like, you know, Rockstar Games is a great company. So you buy whatever they release, basically. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think that's necessarily true anymore. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't I know. I, I just know they made GTA. Yeah, yeah, and they still do. But it's it's one of those things where it's like Rockstar Games puts out GTA, and then you know, then here we are, GTA Five. We've been sitting on GTA Five for longer than all of the previous Grand Theft Auto games before it. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, yeah. I, I only heard about it recently and I was like, five? They're only to five? And and that's the thing is that uh, the game industry itself has become this games as a service thing and no longer uh, okay. a game. So uh, people playing GTA are still getting their money's worth out of it because they're not playing the core game. You know, you buy it on PlayStation, you play through the story like you did with every previous game. It's like we've introduced a new race mode and there's a, an in-game currency and you can use to buy this new DLC and then you get the you know, so it's like downloadable this, content. So it's, they've, been yeah. run, they've been running with GTA 4 but with different maps and stuff like that or something? Well, different this is features? GTA GTA five. Okay, so five's out already. Five's out and yeah. it's, okay. It's been out since uh ten years ago, man. It's, oh, that's what like, I thought. I thought I thought yeah. like the last time I played it was probably fuck, yeah. was probably four in like two thousand six or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, like yeah. but I when I when I heard, you know, five's so five's been out, they just keep adding stuff to it and never yes. going to six. Yes, and they're doing the and it's online content. It's like you know multiplayer and like uh you know like team heists or yeah, that's they, funny. <laughs> and they can milk that until the cows come home. Right, right, right. Or, or in uh Bethesda who made Skyrim, right? Like so, they've had the Elder Scrolls series for you know as long as I can remember. I, there was a time before that, but they instead of making a new Elder Scrolls game, what they keep doing is they sell an updated version on Skyrim on every new console that comes out. It's like, you know, the veterans edition or, you know, the gold edition or something like that, or like we're releasing it on the Nintendo switch. And then they keep selling, you know, a $60 version of the same game they've made 15 years ago. So what's their incentive to make a new one? Right. I mean, well, I respect like, Hey, you know, you can do that. And that does make you money. Uh, I, I, and I think you, or someone who would resonate with this, like I value the art over the, it, it, you can still make good money. You can make very good money Creating by valuing the art. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of milking. Yeah. That's, for interesting. that's very interesting that there's they, there's yeah. this incentive that, that emerged that basically put an obstacle in the way of them creating new versions of the game. Mm-hmm. Now does, do the graphics significantly improve through the through five over the years or is it just, no, I mean five is the same game that it's always been. It's just for GTA specifically. Um, huh. Yeah, it's the same game, and it honestly, like it, you know, when you're talking about different consoles, so Skyrim on the Nintendo Switch is a lesser graphical experience than you would experience on Skyrim on the PS4, perhaps. And and then I'm sure that they will, if they haven't already, they probably have, and I'm just not thinking about it. But PS5. They'll release a same, the exact same game, but with just increased graphics, you know, and that's the, oh yeah, it's the same, exactly the same game with no new content, just a better graphical. But they can charge people 60 bucks to, to just upgrade a few things and not actually create a new game, which is what they would charge for a new game. So why not just keep doing that? And so that's basically what they've been locked in that trap for a decade. Yep. And that's, that's the AAA gaming industry in a nutshell for you. Uh, The other option is to be a game like, Fortnite, which is it is a game as a service which is like you know it's not a story based game you don't have an end state you just you know constantly you log in every night you pay for like a, a membership a season pass or something like that you get some like cosmetic things for your characters or like a weapon skin or some shit like that and then you just play the same thing over and over again um which i mean there's a place for that but it just doesn't ultimately result in a uh i, I guess it does actually i 
it doesn't make me happy, <laughs> but it clearly makes a lot of people happy enough to throw their money in. Right. And so maybe you say yeah. like, they, it's not that they shouldn't do what they're doing, but they should also do what they used to do. Create I, new uh, games. I wouldn't even say, my therapist told me a long time ago to stop using the word should. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a, th- that's a therapist thing to say for a long time. <laughs> long. Yeah. They've been saying that for 30 years or so. Uh, don't and, say sh- because when you say should, you set up yourself, you set yourself up for an expectation that you and a disappointment, know. right? Yeah. Um, so I, I prefer to see things as they are. Oh, I don't yeah, give yeah. a shit what what these giant game companies do. Uh, the company that I own and also the company that I work for, I will uphold my ethics and and my perspective on what is best for art. Right. Exactly. And if you live live by the values you were just talking about, you know that they you know, that you would maybe think that they could have done, not could have done, but could have done. If you do it and it's successful, then they'll all do it to copy the success. So, Or they'll, or they'll continue to make their millions. Yeah. And I'll be happy making a living and I will make things I'm proud of. And the people working for those companies will just be like, yeah, well, this is my job. And that's fine too. Yeah. 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 But the point is, yeah, you can, without, uh, hoping or whatever sitting there hoping that they should change or whatever you just make the game and the type of format for games and progressively building new games instead of just adding to a previous version and indefinitely the yeah. and by doing that you know if you if you do well with that then it's a it, it, whatever it uh validates the opinion without having to say should you just prove that it could do well doing it right. that way so it, it even whether they copy it or not it is at least doing well for you and yeah the 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 version everybody i thought liked when a new game came out when a new version of a game came out if it was substantially better which it almost always was with the fucking you know all the the different things you know through the years every time it was like holy fuck new game system new game of this version you know it's part four of this or whatever you know it's just yeah, yeah. I, I would think that the the market has certainly established that the uh, the the consumer is happy with that model too. So yeah, yeah, I don't, you know, it's my my entire life is you know like I I'm a project manager, so I take you know I'm trained to do this you know from my previous careers. Like, okay, this is what we need to do. So like, what do we need to do to make that happen? We do it. Okay, now it's done. I I see people every day. Um, from my perspective, like from in the keeps perspective is like people come to me and they're like, I have a dream to make this kind of game. And if it vibes with me, if it's something that I think is like, yeah, that's a great idea. Then I find a way to financially (laughs) make that happen. And I try my best. And if it works, it works. And it's like, and then I get the most beautiful satisfaction in the world saying like, we made a game that was your vision. That was what you wanted to do, which, which was, you know, going to vibe with your audience and no different than what you do with comedy is like, I, I wish that I, I, I'm not going to be probably, but if I could be in the comedy industry, I would do the same thing with someone like you. I'd be like, I, I will find any opportunity I can to try to make what you do and what I think you do, which is special into something that is like bigger and better and, and more, I wouldn't say palatable. I'd just say like, we'll find the people. We'll find the people that you need to reach. We'll market it to those people, and that's the be- that's the best route for it, as far as I can tell. And I'm, I'm very I mean, young yeah. Blossom, no, yeah, I, so, I appreciate yeah. it. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's that it's that kind of thing. That's um, yeah. I mean, uh, it's 
it's hard to uh but occasionally people do it you know you know mm-hmm. they're they're occasionally like musicians or comedians or movies or video games that people would say i would never have fucking thought that that would have been successful or popular at all because it's just most of them aren't you know right the evil dead was a failure right and a cult classic after the fact yeah and then over time because it was distributed well people found it and they're like this and and we're talking about it you know it's it's been 40 years since the evil dead came out and we're still talking about it yeah And, and i feel that way about so many things like vincent van gogh was not recognized until he was dead right and he probably wouldn't have been if he hadn't whatever uh, injured himself on purpose for love or, yeah. you know, the, the crazy shit of the life or whatever kind of thing it's, but yeah, it, but again, it took each time it took some sort of, um, it some, took some sort of business thing. You know, like you said, even evil dead may have not um, been successful with its marketing when it came out, but it was successful with its distributing after the fact. And that enabled the cult classic thing to happen which if they had yeah. fucked the distributing up as well, who knows what right. would have happened, you know? Well, it's these like, bootlegged tapes of it that end up in Germany or whatever. And, like, right. That's the same thing is true of a lot of punk bands and stuff like that. It's like, yeah. you know, the, the fact that it was not controlled by the corporation who would have been incentivized to like, oh, no, you can't have that if you don't buy it is exactly what allowed that art to permeate through the world and become a commercial success over time. And yeah, yeah, true. I think the same thing is true of all art forms. Like uh, it's it's not isolated to the film industry. The film industry is extremely expensive, right? Yeah. Like you have to spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars to make even a very small, low budget movie. Right, just to get in the game. So it's a high yeah. barrier to entry, as the business jerks say. <laughs> it costs nothing to make a, a game, I and mean, it costs you nothing to. I mean, uh, to gas yeah. money or whatever, but like yeah, to show exactly. up at a comedy club, and if if someone captures it the right way at the right time, then you have something that will last forever and we have the internet now. So put it out there and you're doing okay. I mean, like you, you got like some subscribers on YouTube, but like YouTube is a fucking shit show anyway. Right. Right. But, you know, um, but yeah, yeah. You know, it's that, that's basically where I just put the uh, albums up for free on my YouTube channel and then on, on yeah, chrisheiss.com. And that's basically, it's all free, but yeah, but it really, it's, it's also, um, you know, the presentation, it's an album. Most people don't listen to stand-up albums. Even even the greatest comics in history, you look at their YouTube videos, their albums, when it's just their albums, it's not mm-hmm. it has much lower numbers than their videos. So well, your clips, right? The things that are just like a minute or, you know, five minutes or whatever of you doing a bit, clearly I'm looking at your channel, like actually numerically do better than- Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that's why I was considering like trying to do a video for this most recent- uh, album so yeah yeah if we can you know uh figure that out but like it's it's that kind of yeah that kind of thing video video does better it's understandable people people are less likely to listen to albums of anything you know they they watch videos now it's so yeah it's all about yeah part of partly the marketing partly the um the presentation of things it's just a, the nature of uh yeah video is more entertaining there's more to it there's more that people mm-hmm. see of what's going on so it's um it's easier for me to share like a one minute video of you saying fuck the police than right. it is for me to say like, Hey, listen to this 25 minute album. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and it also like it encaps encapsulates your entire being, right? Like it, when I see you on stage, that's such a huge part of you as a character, right? Like someone just hearing your voice 
is not nearly the same as them seeing like, oh, that guy. <laughs> like, right. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. I, guess, yeah. I forget sometimes, but yeah, I guess so. That's like a, that's part of it is people say, oh, okay. And that kind of, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's another reason. Yeah. And general, yeah. generally speaking, comedy specials do way better than albums. Even, yeah, even mm-hmm. on YouTube, you, you have a, a, you know, comic, even a relatively unknown comic. You can put something on YouTube and, you know, if it makes the rounds, but it's easier for people to, like you said, to share, even if it's a longer clip, you know, even if it is a half hour special or whatever, the, it's it's a video. So it's easier. And if it's well, you know, if it's not totally shittily produced, you know, where you can you can hear and see it well enough, then, yeah, people are more inclined to, uh, yeah, pass it around. Yeah, dude. I mean, I, I genuinely like I know it was like a, you know, a short, <laughs> very unintimate thing but like i i saw you on stage and i just was inspired and then i, I probably wouldn't have talked to you had not the, the second bar we gone to you were sitting right next to us and like i was just like i gotta talk to this guy you know i i really felt uh your art resonated with me and i hope that thanks man. even Bye. if it's a very small unsubstantial amount like that what i do can in some way benefit that and and i am dr network like that's what I do. So. Well, I mean, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying at this point, I'm just trying to, uh, yeah, to, to maybe figure out a way to, to make a video, whether I have to go to Los Angeles or, mm-hmm. or Tucson or whatever, you know, um, whatever is easiest and cheapest basically at this point. But, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I appreciate all the, the you know, fucking a, uh, it's, it's, yeah, at this point, it's just working on this new material, trying to get it, to where it's where uh, you know where i want it to be and then uh and yeah and then trying to set it in stone you know in a either audio or video and put it out there and yeah ba- based on the fact that i mean that's one of the main impetuses towards the doing a video this time is that i put out 11 audio <laughs> 11 of them and it got nothing <laughs> so it, it, you know. it'll still be there when people do when you do make that thing that yeah like, yeah that's possible a lot of people it's possible. Yeah, they, they'll go back and listen to that. Or I've re- I've recorded and published, you know, a uh, hundred and thirty something podcasts, right? And most of them did garbage. You know, it was just like no one cares, and that's fine. I accepted that. You know, I was like, I'm going to do this because I love it, because I love talking to, you know, not just game developers, but people who I find interesting, who are in some way loosely connected to that, or even in your case, like. I just like this guy and I think we can give him a platform to some extent. But when you, when you do hit that moment where it's like, for me, it was this past year at Realm Steep, you know, um, where you, you had that opportunity to reach a lot of people. Suddenly they go back and they find your back catalog or in, in the YouTube case, it's like as simple as like a keyword, you, you know, you, you put tags in YouTube, that kind of thing. Um, and so some developer who I interviewed before they were ever going to be famous, and then suddenly their game becomes famous and people are searching that word. There's certainly like ultra kill would be a good example of a great game that I, I interviewed their developer early on. And then people start like, Oh, there's a new update to that game and it's famous now. And that video has got, you know, 2000 listens or something like that. that. That makes a big difference and it can happen slowly, iteratively over time. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. So, Yeah. I mean, like I said, man, I, I, you've gained at least one fan. Well, thank, thank you very sure. much. Thank you. Thank and, I, and I hope that that translates to a lot of. A lot I mean, of you know, it's it, like the type of stuff I do is has a very limited potential fan base. 
So, you know, I'm happy for anybody that shows up at a show or whatever or listens to stuff. That's, you know, great. But yeah, yeah. As far as like the the making of things, that's, you know, um, like you said, there's something to the video stuff. The clips I used to use was because I used to have a camera that I used and, and I've just been using an audio only for a few years now. So it's been mostly that. But yeah, I want to go back to uh, yeah doing maybe trying some video stuff. Um, so but yeah. do you uh, do you think that your content as it stands, right? Like the, the stuff that you've, the albums that you put out and everything, does that really like encapsulate you to a, to an extent, or is it like you're still kind of finding it for yourself? No, I mean, I've, I've been, you know, as far as like what people would call a point of view, you mean like as that's been fucking there for the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> that's been there for long before I even did stand up, but it's, I mean, things constantly, you know, evolve to some extent, but like, uh, it's hard to say, like, does I'll do 11 standup albums encompass you pretty? Yeah. <laughs> they, <laughs> it's 11 of them. And it's a yeah. lot of in-depth perceptions about a lot of different things in very specific fucked up ways. So in that sense, it would definitely encompass, you know, my view on, on the world and, and the things in it, but, um, but you're constantly making new stuff. So the newer, uh, material is definitely whatever, definitely, uh, is, is, a in a, a note in the chord of those things, um, the other ones, but it's also, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's different things about all of them. And there's things where you would say, Oh, he did that bit in this album. And then this bit in that album, that seems like a different perception or whatever or yeah. conflicting perception. But that's part of standup too, is to, is to fuck with the conceptions of things like, uh, you know, so it could sound like, you know, but it's still a consistent point of view. It's just uh, arguing from, um, or whatever, arguing different aspects of different things. But yeah, yeah. The whole thing, if, if people were to listen, I mean, I'm surprised when anybody listens to a fucking one minute clip, let alone a whole album, let alone multiple albums, because it's yeah. some dense whatever. It's not, you know, it's not easy. It's not just sit back and relax kind of shit or whatever. It's whatever. I don't. I don't even know how to explain. It. But it's not. Yeah. It. It's not. I don't know. But it, it's it's fucking. Uh. It definitely. If I understand the question correctly, reflects. Uh. Definitely reflects my. Uh, what would be considered. Um non-contemporary worldview i don't know fucking <laughs> some not yeah. some not uh widely held but you know some people it's one of those things it's just it's just strange strange stuff so they they some people um whatever some some material resonates with people other material they're like what the fuck uh so it it's hard to say i just do you know the things that i think of that i think are good and think you know and, and then move you know expand them and add them to them and 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 what i'm trying to say you know and they're yeah they're, they're different in various ways i'm confident that when you make your your master of puppets that <laughs> people are going to go back and find your kill them all you know like they're yeah, right. that's good that's it. good i feel and yeah. until you get to your black album they're going to continue to do that exactly right? when i do the black album that's fucking that's that i hope i hope i don't if i never meet uh whatever i don't even remember the douche 
name of the Bob Rock. Yeah, that producer. Um, yeah, but that, that's the kind of thing that can happen to to good uh, writing when 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 some somebody's like, you know what, you guys are good. I can make you better, and then it makes it it makes them far worse. <laughs> because yeah. they, but it, may, it does make them more palatable to to other people. So, but I don't think yeah, some things shouldn't be. It, you shouldn't change the artist to make it more palatable. Palatable. You should change the fucking customer, the consumer, the audience. The audience should be like, you know what? This crazy fucked up shit is way better than fucking this sit on a couch shit. It's it's That's really funny that you bring up Bob Rock because I it was yesterday I was recording a different podcast. It was for with a friend who was talking to a, a pretty prominent level designer. And one of the things that I said is like, as a, from the perspective of a producer, I don't want to be Bob Rock. I want to be Rick Rubin. Right. right. That's a you, great one. You want to be that. You, you don't want to be this guy who interjects themselves or tries to like force their creative perspective into the artwork of the person you're working with. And to you make it more be, tame. That's what he did. He made right. it so much more tame. You want to be this guy who facilitates the artist to create exactly what they want to create, and you're just there to help them do it. And right. that's my philosophy on project management in general. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rick Room is the man. That's the shit. <laughs> yeah. That's the way to do it. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, it's also the, you know, the band goes, you know, Slayer went to Rick Rubin, Metallica went to Bob Rock. They actually later went on, you know, with, uh, with death magnetic, they worked with Rick Rubin, you know, and that was, a, okay. We're, we're, you know, it, I don't know how that well that translated. I like that album. I thought it was good, especially compared to all of their Bob Rock shit. Uh, death magnetic's okay. You know, it's got some flaws, but it's like, it's more of like you're, in the attempt to capture the Metallica of, you know, ride the lightning or something like that, it's, it's way more reflective of them trying to be themselves than it is uh, with load and reload. And with the, what was it? The St. Anger and the black album. And all right. Stuff. Right. It's also yeah. difficulty, especially with music that when people get older and especially when they get richer, they, <laughs> they, their music changes. It's just, but it doesn't, I mean, money will have a similar effect in stand-up, but age doesn't. Age seems to make people more fucked up stand-ups. As far as like Pryor and Carlin, and you know yeah. any number of more tall fucking. Once you're famous, you got nothing to lose, man. Right. When you're old, you really got nothing to lose. Like Carlin knew he was going to die. Right. Right. So it's like, yeah, there's there's that. You know, once you get to be about seventy or something, you can. I mean, this shit just gets off the rails in such a beautiful way. But but yeah, you know. When Slayers in their seventies, I don't expect their fucking heaviest, fastest, craziest shit because music is more of a. It involves more of a physical thing. You have to play the drums fast. You have to play the guitar fast. There's, there's a thing that a seventy-year-old can't as easily do as a twenty-five-year-old. So, but right. with stand-up, you can keep coming up with crazy ideas as long as you have the mental faculty to do that. So, people in their seventies and eighties, and I think Mort Sauls in his nineties, he's still fucking. As far as I last heard, he's still spitting shit occasionally. And it's a, uh, yeah, it's, it's that kind of a, but yeah, the, the, so that's the one advantage stand up has is that as people get older and older, the stand up gets better. Whereas usually in every other genre of art, it tends to get less awesome. But, but yeah, you can get Carlin's last shit was just so fucked up. It's so good. <laughs> And and it's all the uh, you know even all of them you know fucking 
yeah, what's it? Yeah, if people, I don't know if people listen to, yeah, I mean, there's so many, uh, you know, he's the main example of that, though. Yeah, he's the guy who lived long enough to, like, really do that. Right, right. Yeah, like, like Hicks didn't go very long, and neither did Kennison, and that's unfortunate, but it's just, you know, the, the truth of the matter. Right, Lenny Bruce as well, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Mort Saul did, but he was ostracized from the industry <laughs> by the 70s, I think. So, like, for the past 50 years, he's just been talking to himself and a handful of other people. He's one of the most famous comics in the world in the 50s and 60s. Literally considered the first stand-up comic ever, as far as, like, the, the way it is conceived of. Yeah, in the modern uh, world, you know, people people go back all the way to like Twain or like even oh yeah yeah oh yeah, yeah. and there were yeah there's yeah. people all the all the stuff but when it when it just became a guy standing there having a conversation with the audience mm-hmm. where he wasn't just slinging one liners and stuff like that where it was like this new it was this new thing because before that you know there were people that would play an instrument and then tell a joke and like short things but he made this long form thing that was this different thing that people were like what the fuck. And it influenced everybody, and and uh, yeah, and changed changed the game in a lot of ways. But yeah, so it's 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 um, and he definitely had the first album I think ever out of it. But he, but yeah, point is, then then he started <laughs> like most of the awesome comics. At a certain point, I always hear like these guys, the people who are critical of shit. They're like, Lenny Bruce was awesome, and then he then he started just going on stage and talking about his court case. I'm like, that was the most awesome part, and like when it got really crazy. And like Mort Saul at a certain point, who was friends with Lenny Bruce, and like uh, Mort Saul did that sh- like after fucking JFK was killed. Every time Mort Saul was on TV, they would ask him to host t- the Tonight Show when Johnny was out or whatever. He'd be like, "All right," and he'd go on there and be like, "So that was fucked up, huh? JFK was assassinated. The CIA did that shit, huh?" And he would just go off like, and we, he would just keep. He would bring. He brought on fucking Garrison to that show. Uh, got you know, he did a lot of shit that upset the establishment players and they were like, you're never going to be on TV again. <laughs> and like, but it, but he said awesome shit, shit you would never hear on TV. He made it happen. And, but yeah, they pushed him, pushed him out. And yeah. So for the past like 50 years, he's just been increasingly in a more and more first, he was on some obscure television channel in the eighties and then less so in the nineties and then just live shows in the early 2000s and then, then just a Facebook thing that was our Twitter, uh, uh, what is it? Periscope live stream. Uh, has yeah. been increasingly ostracized to, you know, now there's like 20 or 30 people occasionally watching, but he's still one of the best of all time at like 91 or whatever. And it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. So yeah, that, I guess the whole point of that was that, yeah, music tends to, I would like, you know, you know, Metallica to, make a record that's better than master of puppets now, but just because of age and wealth, it doesn't seem as likely, but a comic, even with wealth, Carlin had a lot of wealth, but he was still able to fucking tear apart everything. (laughs) Despite that, you know, but it does affect most people, but age doesn't seem to you. So yeah, if comics make it to an old age, that's when some of their best shit can, can happen. I don't know, fucking a. He's he's that guy who held his ethics the entire time, though. Like, he, yeah, he he was like almost waiting to get to that point in his life where he could just go out there and say whatever the fuck he wanted, and people would buy it. And like, you know, he was like, you know, doing his entire life, he had lots of spots and the things that like 
propelled him into fame, but like those late HBO specials were really just like his magnum opus. And yeah, he just went, he just went like, yeah, completely. Yeah. Just, and he, you know, through the years, whatever, you know, they argue different things or whatever, but I, I just like the, you know, I just like the fucked up shit. So it's like, it's yeah. The more, especially the, cause it's like fucking, metal or punk or hardcore or whatever it's like it's like the most angry fucked up shit <laughs> best shit i don't know why i don't know what it says about my emotional state but like i like but i also think that that's the best way to find solutions it may not seem like it but like you know carlin and Pryor and dick gregory and mort Saul, lenny bruce you know and in recent times Chappelle and rock and louis and stanhope you know you 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 can listen to the shit and you can find a lot of solutions to be like, Oh, if, if society has applied these principles, they, it would improve things, but yeah. they refuse to, you know? So it's, it's just like, that's just part of the game is that. Yeah. The, these fucking. Yeah. The, yeah. I'm just fucking rambling at this point. <laughs> <laughs> You've done great, man. Uh, we were like, we were like closing in all three hours. So at this all right, point, hell yeah. I'd be like, You've done great. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I mean, fucking A. I've very much enjoyed this conversation. I, I want to do it again in the future when I'm a little more uh, free to speak. Yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. You've, uh, <laughs> you, you, honestly, like you, you've opened my mind a lot, and I, I hope to continue to like experience what you do, and I hope that it continues to spread its like you know fingers across the earth. Well, thanks, man. Fucking A. <laughs> and if there's anything I can do to be helpful, you just let me know. I appreciate it, man. Thanks again. Thanks thanks for everything. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much once again to Chris. He's absolutely fucking awesome. Exactly what I expected. And uh, I hope you guys go check him out. You can uh, find his stuff on YouTube or at chrisheist.com. That's Chris H-E-I-S-T. I hope I got that right. Dot com. And uh, yeah, he's an amazing comic and, and a really, really just brilliant mind. And I, I respect him tremendously, obviously. That's, that's why I spent you know two and a half hours picking the guy's brain. Um, and given how fucked up the conversation got, I, the, the only appropriate thing to do music wise was to have our, our beloved Amorpher here. So this is a, this is a track off of Vestigial Processes. You can find Amorpher over on Bandcamp and I'll, I'll make sure to like, you know, continue to always tout him out as much as I can. Uh, definitely want to say thank you to the people who support us. You know, you know who you are, but I'll read your names off because I love you. Shannon, Ben, Bridge, Anthony, Mike, Zan, Lord Revan, Fred, Brandy, Jack, Robert, Graceless, Dragon, Red Eyes, Brad, Dots, Moose, Paul, The Flam Fam. Y'all know who y'all are. And of course, I, Greg Simon, who often contributes to the show. And of course, Immorpher, who is the person you're hearing right now in this wonderful music. If you are interested in uh, supporting In The Keep, head over to InTheKeep.com. There's all kinds of ways. I'm not going to talk ad nauseum about that right now because I just want to, like, you know, finish my day. I love you. The Drowned God Kathala loves you. Until next time, stay in the keep.